You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 55 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, Alex Hobson and Peter Barracchini. And boys, a lot to talk about this week, obviously, off the ice and on the ice. Um, Training camp's underway. Maple Leafs are going. Uh, We're 10 days away from puck drop on the 2021-22 season. Mm But we're going to start this podcast off on a very, very low point for us Toronto sports fans. The Blue Jays are officially eliminated in game 162 of the season after a phenomenal run. Um, both, you know, all, all year these guys were setting records and uh, it just, we, we came up just shy with Boston and New York. Uh, winning today to clinch those wild card spots. So, Alex, we'll start it off with you. Um, I know you were you were having a few afternoon bubblies while you watched the game. How are you feeling? Well, you know, I was on the Maple Leafs lounge this morning, and I was I, I mentioned to the guys that I was in the fetal position from the moment that I got home from yeah. work until the game started. <laughs> and you know, kudos to the, to Major League Baseball for setting it up like that because of the fact that the fact that all the teams that in games that mattered had their games start at three o'clock, it made for a very, very exciting afternoon of baseball, but you know, it just, it it just hurts to think about how many times if they just got the win in one of these winnable games that they lost and pissed away because of the bullpen, or if, Mm -hmm. you know, if they, if they want to get, if they won just one of those games when Charlie made a, made a weird bullpen decision or anything like that, or they didn't commit a crucial error. It's like, they were just that close to making the playoffs. And it's just, it's fucking ridiculous that this team has 90 wins and they're fourth in the AL East. I just, I, I can't wrap my head around that. And you know, it's, you know, I, I I will say that I am still very proud of the team for their effort based on uh, the fact that they didn't even have – they weren't even playing on their home turf until July 30th or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And, you know, obviously playing in Buffalo, there was a little bit of familiarity there. But then if if you're in New York, I mean, you've got all the Yankees fans coming over. It doesn't really feel like a home game at that point. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of respect for the Jays for that run. And hopefully it just means that – uh, next year they're going to come back even 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 better and stronger, and it, it hopefully serves as a lesson to not rely on uh, not not put yourself in a position where you got to rely on other teams. Got to take care of your own business. So, uh, yeah, Spain without the S. That's that's where I'll leave it. So I'm not in any way, shape, or form. I'm not a conspiracy person. I am not a conspiracy person. But you have to believe that the MLB got exactly what they wanted with the Yankees and Boston in a wild card game. Um, 100%. Yeah, and, and Alex, you mentioned it, obviously, you know, uh, it was great to see all these teams kind of wind down right at the right at the uh, final final stretch here and um, to be to be involved in meaningful baseball. I mean, it's it's the perfect recipe for baseball in terms of money and, and TV, uh, TV ratings and all that kind of stuff. But Peter, before I get to what I want to get to, what are your thoughts on, you know, the Blue Jays, where they're at, the season they had, um, you know, and obviously the uh, the Toronto letdown that we seem to be so accustomed to? Yeah, it, it seems like all we know is pain. And uh, I, I was trying to quote something from T-Titans Go with the pain bot, pain, pain, all I know is pain or whatever. It, it, yeah, I'm kind of a nerd like that. But um, counter to what Alex said about, like, the Jays, 
or to sentiment what Alex said about the Jays winning, missing out on winnable games, getting swept by the Washington Nationals, that hurt. The Detroit Tigers, a few games, that kind of hurts. Kevin Kiermaier stealing our notes, that kind of hurt. So, you know, a lot of factors played into it, and yeah. There were a lot of injuries uh, this season that played into the factor with the bullpen and the decision-making. Um, Julian Merriweather went down. Imagine if he had a full season and he didn't miss that because he had a hot start. Miss uh, a hell of a lot of time coming back very cold. Nate Pearson was up and down. So it's like we didn't really have a full bullpen until basically August. And that was with Adam Simber and um, – Joaquin Soria as well coming over. But I'm also just going to say this. MLB, fix your format. Get re- like th- this whole thing about the two wild card team system or whatever, fix that. Like, come on. A 91-win team, as exciting as this, is not going to the playoffs. I mean, this is worse than the divisional lineup in the NHL right now. So I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to leave it right there before I go off the handle. You've got your your top guy in ERA out of the playoffs, okay? Mm -hmm. Your top guy in strikeouts out of the playoffs. Home run leader. Co-home run leader out of the playoffs. Salvador Perez, yeah. Your top two hitters out of the playoffs. You have the guy finishing in third in the AL in average out of the playoffs. Yeah. And a 90-win team out of the playoffs. I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm glad that you brought up the 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 um, their format because one thing I'll take you back to a game late August. I went to a, you know as soon as you know they they let fans back in Toronto uh, get their butts back in the seats. I was at a game with my brother and my dad. Went to extra innings, and the guy started on second base. Okay. Oh, that crappy second <laughs> against, base rule against against oh Boston. God. All right. He came around to score. Boston wins 2-1. Think about that game now. That's a one-game turnaround. You switch that, you've got Toronto in the wild card, you've got Boston on the outside looking in. That rule needs to go. That's the shootout of baseball. That's not even a shootout. That's just a gimme right there. That's like like coming up with something on the spot last minute to say, hey, how can we end all these long-ass games? And you put something on – put the man on second? Like, come on. Yeah. Here's the other thing too, is it's like that, that rules in a sense made sense. Well, that was a great sentence. That room or that rule. Oh my God. I can't speak. That rule <laughs> made <laughs> this game. This game has my my brain just in, in a pile yeah, of mush right now. I'm just, yeah, yeah I'm just like, I can't even formulate a coherent sentence. Um, no, but I, that, that rule made sense last season when, COVID was still a massive concern. There were outbreaks happening left and right throughout the Mm -hmm. league. And number one priority was making sure that the schedule stayed intact and that they were able to get a full season out of it. So in that, in that sense, the rule sort of like, it it made sense there because you don't want the players to be on the field for longer than they have to. And putting a runner on second base as as annoying as it was and as stupid of a rule as it was, it did ensure that the games ended quicker. But in 2021, when most teams are vaccinated and you're more or less just allowing fans into the stadiums and just, it's pretty much just normal to baseball at this point. What is the point of keeping that rule around? I really hope it's gone for 2022, man. It's just. uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Just think think about that garbage for a second. How many times they went to extras and had to start with that guy on second? It's, oh, my it's, God. Like, that, that changes the, the dumbest thing ever. At least. Yeah. And the annoying part about it, too, is the fact that 
like w- w- when you're starting with a runner on second base, like, and okay, I, I trust me, I like baseball and I like uh, the different ways that you can pull out a win. And sometimes I understand you got to squeeze a bunt out and you got to steal a base or whatever. But when you're starting with a runner on second, just literally all you have to do to get a win in that instance is start the runner, bunt them over to third, and then get a sack fly and you're laughing. And it should yeah. not be that easy to win a game in extra innings. And maybe I'm, I'm just sounding salty as a Jays fan who just got eliminated right now. But, I mean, it, come on. On, like, top no, but overall, that, though, on top of that, though, you're shitting on all over the bullpen in terms of their numbers, their win-loss numbers, as well as their ERA, if, in fact, they're the ones that take on that, that runner. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Um, but before, before we get, get into hockey, I want to bring up a quick uh, – quick, um, Instagram post that I saw from uh, Tim and friends over at Sportsnet. As uh, Alex mentioned, the, the Blue Jays had four home stadiums this season. So they started in Anaheim, went 0-1. Florida, Dunedin, 10-11. and Buffalo, they played 12-11 and baseball. And then finally at the Rogers Center, they played 25-11. and Okay? So I kind of broke down the numbers a little bit in, in a little Twitter rampage I went on afterwards. And I, I, I noted that in Toronto, they had a 69.4 winning percentage, okay? In all three of the other stadiums, it made up for a 48.9 win percentage. It's noteworthy because if they had played the entire season in Toronto, that would, that would at, at that same winning percentage, obviously, that would include another nine games, nine, nine wins for the, uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays. And that includes some games against the Boston Bruins, or sorry, the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. Yeah. So that all considered, the AL East is completely different than what it actually turned out to be. And Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, at the end of the day, there's not much you could do because of COVID restrictions and what have you. But the fact that this team went through what they did and it came down to what it did to knock them out of the playoffs, I I completely agree with Peter when I say the MLB really needs to take a long, hard look at this because you're talking about the one Canadian team that you have with all the fans that you have north of the border and you're going to have them make an exit strategy the way that they did in game 162, it's complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. I was even going to say this, even in like May and June, I know they came back in July, but May and June was when the vaccination rates here in Canada started going up pretty significantly, especially in Ontario too, with the first and second doses. You're telling me you couldn't get them in a month or two earlier with maybe minimal fans, maybe not even 15,000, maybe just eight, 9,000 to start with. Then you go to 15, depending on how well everything progressed. I mean, in hindsight, whatever, but I mean, imagine what one month could have done. Like, like you said, Andrew, that, that winning percentage here in one month, man, whole different story. Welcome to you know, the one- new podcast, the salty pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> What, one final it. closing thought I have before we want to move on here. I really, really, really hope that the Blue Jays find a way to re-sign Marcus Simeon and Robbie Ray. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, I, I, in, under normal circumstances, I totally understand a guy in Marcus Simeon's position about, you know, he just had a historic season. Hit yeah. more, more home runs than any second, second baseman in, in league history. And, and Jays record, well too. Over yeah, and that's well over 100 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at a guy who's literally, like, 
obviously it was a record setting season, but like it was a pretty crazy record for him to own. And we don't see that kind of thing happen often. So obviously if you're in his position, you're going into the open market, you want to maximize your value as much as possible. I understand that. And same thing for Robbie Ray with the amount of strikeouts he had this season, the fact that he's a potential Cy Young winner. I I obviously, you got to understand the position these guys are in, but at the same time, I want Marcus Simeon to take a good long look at that video of Bobichet in the press conference after today's game, tearing up, talking about how much he meant to him. Mm-hmm. And just think about the fact that, uh, and you know what? I, I, I don't care. People can call me out for sounding biased when I say this, but I firmly believe that if the Jays made the playoffs this year, they have the talents to win a world series this year. I can Absolutely. see that. I, I, I don't I disagree. Odds I don't disagree. Them. I would, I would mm-hmm. take their odds against the giants. I take their odds against the Dodgers. I would take their odds against anybody. And yeah. even the race, anybody. And it's like, you know, if, 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 if these guys take a look at this team and think, okay, look at the, the success our offense achieved this year. Look at the rotation we've got. Look at our bullpen next year with no Tyler fucking Chatwood. And hopefully a, a healthy Kirby Yates from the get-go like they hoped for this year. This team has some serious potential to make some noise. And you've got Jose Barrios for an entire, entire year. You're going to be playing at home for an entire year. This team could win a World Series next year. And I really, really hope that Semyon and Ray uh, take notice of that. And they, they consider that because I'm sure the Jays will be willing to pay them. It's just uh, the opportunity that there is in Toronto right now with this team in particular. There were so many variables that went into why, uh, why, why the Jays found themselves in the position that they were and why it played out the way that, the way that it did, like you pointed out, Forbes. And it's like, I, I just, I truly, truly hope that they take notice of that and that they, they understand that they have potential to do something really special and cement a legacy here in Toronto. And that concludes my Jays rant for today. Okay. My what? final note is this. If I'm Ross Adkins and Mark Shapiro, my pitch to those two guys, unfinished business. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Um, one, one quick note or one quick question for both of you before we, we head into hockey here. I know we've spent a lot of time here on baseball, but, um, <laughs> what's hockey AL MVP, AL Cy Young, hmm. Without trying, trying your hardest to be non-biased. What are your thoughts? Cy Young, I'm giving it to Robbie Ray. I mean, slightly better numbers than Garrett Cole. Um, more innings I, pitched, more strikeouts, yeah. better yeah. ERA. For me, the MVP is hard because Vladdy had such an amazing season, but you can't deny the fact of what Shohei Otani did on both the offensive side and defensive side with the pitching. And I get that for me, in the standings, Toronto wouldn't be where they were without Vladdy. But if the roles were reversed, the LA Angels would not be anywhere where they would be at without Shohei Otani. So... I, it's a toss-up. I, I hate to pick that one. I want to. I want to say Vladdy, but I'm not going to be disappointed if it's not. Alex, what do you think? Um, fully on, fully on the same page as Peter in terms of the Cy Young. I, I, I would give it to Robbie Ray. I think at the end of the year, Cole kind of went through a rough stretch, and he also had had a bit of a rough stretch once they cracked down on the whole spider attack thing. And Robbie Ray was getting historic strikeout numbers this year. Um, I, I think he deserves Cy Young, or yeah, the Cy Young. Now, in terms of the MVP, here, here's what I'll say. I think this year, in the end, I would, I'll probably have to give it to Shohei. And the only mm-hmm. reason I say Shohei is because the, what are the odds that we're going to see a season like this ever again? Yeah. And 
it's just, you know what? I, I, I want to give it to Vladdy so bad because the thing is, Vladdy probably was more valuable to the Jays than Otani was to the Angels. I mean, granted, if Otani wasn't playing for the Angels this year, they, they probably would have been right down there with Baltimore. So you could make an argument for him as well. But the, the thing is, it's just, I mean, 47 home runs, an ERA just above three. Uh, what was his yeah. record like? Ninety-two. I'm not using a pitching win and loss record to to uh, further his point, but depressive regardless. So yeah, I mean, you know, this is really this is a really really hard question to answer. What I will say is that if Shohei Otani does get the MVP this year, I think you do have to consider that it cannot be an every year thing because that would take like that. That's the one tough part about giving Shohei Otani the MVP is if he goes ahead and he does something like this every year. He puts up good numbers off the bump and he puts up good numbers in the batter's box. Sure. It's great. And sure. Nobody else in baseball is doing that, but do you just give him the MVP every year then? Like is, is it just his to take home regardless, just because he can do both that kind of takes away from other players. And that's where, that's where it kind of gets dicey for me. It's like this year, I understand it because what we have seen from him this year is just, it's otherworldly. And we, we haven't seen it in the modern era, but I, I don't know what kind of I don't know what kind of precedent that sets for the years to come. So I don't even know if I properly answered your question there, Forbes. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I can't. You know, I can barely. You did absolutely did, and I'm going to play devil's advocate because I've heard the argument for Otani for for the last month or so, the last two months, yeah. and I, I completely understand where it's coming from because it is historic what he's doing. The fact that. You know, he's pitching, batting, playing the way that he did, putting up the numbers that he did. It, it really is incredible. My, my argument against it is going to be, for me, his numbers weren't good enough to be M- MVP. And you're, you're talking about an Angels team that had 77 wins. They weren't even close. They weren't even close. They were fourth in the division. They weren't even close. Um. For me, you know, a guy who's batting 257 versus a guy who's batting 311, um, a guy who, you know, yeah, had 46 home runs against a guy who had 48 home runs. And now you're talking about a guy who had um, under, under 100 RBIs versus a guy who had almost 100 and just over 110, I believe he finished, uh, yeah. he finished with. With the home so, run today, yeah. Yeah. So I get the argument for Otani. I, I completely understand it. But this guy's going to pitch and he's going to bat for the, the, the foreseeable future. Put up top five numbers in every category and we will talk about an MVP. We will talk about an MVP when your team is fighting for a playoff yeah. spot down the stretch. Right now, yeah. the value of what you are as a player comes from how your team it, it essentially works out. And, and the Jays got down to game 162 to, to, to be in the playoff discussion. The LA Angels were out of the discussion a long time ago. And maybe, you know, if you have Trout for the full year, it's a different story, right? But you at least have a few more wins. Yeah. At this point in time, even his pitching numbers, to me, they were average. They were, they were good. They were good, but they were average. Um, So, you know, that's where I'm sitting. And and that's coming honest, honest, honest to God. It's coming from a completely unbiased place. It's not what Vladdy did as a 22 year old to have the numbers he did as a 22 year old. Those have to be taken into consideration and Mm -hmm. to be able to have your team travel the way you did go to four home stadiums and still put up the numbers you did. um, I mean, I don't think we're going to see anything like that anytime soon. 
You, you sold me Forbes. I'm switching my vote to Vladdy. <laughs> that's what I'm I'm not, to that's not a biased take. That's not a biased take. It's just, you are right. There is an element of like the most valuable aspect of it that you have to yeah. really think about. And, uh, you and know, that's why I mentioned one. It, 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 you know what? It's God, one it of those, one. it's one of those years where you know that whoever wins, there's going to be people in the comment section of every post saying, Oh, the so-and-so is snubbed. Regardless, yeah, if absolutely. Otani wins, the comments are going to be full of Vladdy was snubbed. And if Vladdy wins, the comments are going to be full of Otani was snubbed. Yeah. And so, that's okay, where I came from. This. That's where I came from, where I said, you know, if the roles were reversed, if the Jays were down below and Otani was putting up these numbers, yeah, Otani would probably get it if they were in the fight for, you know, that wildcard spot. But unfortunately, they weren't. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I I completely understand the argument from both sides, but for me, mm-hmm. it's it's a Vladdy win because of of what he was able to do for the team. In and, and not only that, but he, for me, he was a glue guy. Like he was he was the guy talking to everybody on the you know in, in the dugout. He was a guy who kept that team kind of you know involved, mentally involved. He you know I I don't know. That's just the way that I saw it. But um, as always, you know, we're, we're outsiders, we're not insiders. So that's kind of, uh, that's kind of where I'm coming from, but, uh, that's my, that's my couch, uh, my, my armchair GM type, uh, type of thinking. So there you go. Um, You're honestly no different than the voters. So yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. At this point, right. We're Definitely. all doing zoom calls. Yeah. So yeah, literally. <laughs> um, but let's get, let's get to hockey. Uh, lots of hockey to talk about. Uh, I, I'll bring this up first because he was a former former Maple Leaf, but Curtis McElhaney will be hanging up the skates and the pads uh, after back-to-back Stanley Cups with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, he had 249 career games in the NHL regular season, had finished with a 94, 95, and 20 record, so a good 500 goalie, 283 goals against, and a 907 save percentage with 12 shutouts to show for it. Anything you want to say about Curtis McElhaney, boys? Alex, we'll throw it to you first. I will never forget his pad save on Sidney Crosby. <laughs> the Leafs clinched in 2016-17. That's, that, that's the one thing I have to say about Curtis McElhaney. I remember the Leafs went into that season with uh, Freddie Anderson. I think it was Jonas Enroth as their backup goalie, and Enroth faltered badly. McElhaney came in off waivers from the Blue Jackets and uh, gave the Leafs basically everything they could have asked for in a backup goalie. So I will always uh, – Think about McElhaney um, affectionately in that sense, and uh, congrats on a lengthy career, and uh, enjoy your retirement. That's what, that's what I'll say. Peter, any thoughts? The biggest mistake was putting him on waivers for Garrett Over, Sparks. For Garrett Sparks. <laughs> and I, I, I understand you wanted to give him that opportunity, but nothing during that camp screamed out that said Garrett Sparks deserved a spot over Curtis McElhaney. And if we had to lose Garrett Sparks on waivers, so be it. Because he didn't he didn't quite live up. And you know what? The, the season that Curtis McElhaney had before that, I mean, like I, I kind of wish he was a Maple Leaf still because he had that solid tandem going and he came in with when Frederick Anderson was injured, needed some time off. He came in and he stole the show. That's what you wanted. And that, Biggest mistake. Yeah. So I, I still wish he was a Maple Leaf. 2017-18 as a Maple Leaf went 11-5-1 and one, uh, with a 934 save percentage, a 214 goals against, and three shutouts in 18 games. So um, definitely had a good run at the end of his Maple Leafs career. But, you know, like you said, gave up a two-time Stanley Cup winner for Garrett Sparks. So that'll that'll be something that goes down in, in Maple Leafs history as uh, 
one of those moves that we'll never forget. But yeah. Um, yeah. Congratulations to Curtis. Uh, hopefully he enjoys retirement and, and it's all, as always, it's nice to see a guy go out on his own terms. So um, that's always a nice thing to see as well. So um, jumping over to the Detroit Red Wings, Verona out four months. How badly is this going to affect the Detroit Red Wings, Peter? It's going to hurt them big time. I mean, he was on a hot streak down the stretch when they acquired him from the Capitals. And obviously, still lower in the standings. I know we talked about them in the Atlantic Division, and they were relying on him to be a major goal scorer right now. So it's really difficult to replace him in the lineup. But I think one positive you have to look at, and I talked about this on Prospects Corner when we had Devin Little on our Detroit Red Wings correspondent and uh, writer, this opens up a spot for Lucas Raymond. And we all know how well he's progressed last year, uh, this season in North America, how he's developed very quickly. So there's a spot possibly opening up for him in a top six role. And for him to come in and take over that spot for Vrana in the meantime until he comes back, and if he impresses, then he's going to stay in the lineup and you have both Vrana and Raymond once he comes back. So good opportunity for him, but still big hole to fill especially for a guy who's going to be putting up most of the goals this season yeah and so far lucas raymond has really clicked with dylan larkin uh playing in that mm-hmm. uh, those preseason games so um but uh, since coming over to detroit eight goals three assists for 11 points in 11 games alex obviously we talked about detroit in our atlantic division preview episode bottom feeding team but uh how badly did they need verona back in that lineup um, you know, we, we all know how stacked the Atlantic division is this year and how much of a dogfight it's going to be to make the playoffs. And I think we're all kind of under on the same page that Buffalo and Detroit are kind of going to be the bottom feeders in that division. So I don't think it's really a matter of needing Verona there. I mean, he certainly gives them a big boost, but it's not like they're really in the, in the chase to make the playoffs this year. So I don't think it really hurts them too, too much, not having him there. But obviously, you don't want to see a guy out for that long, especially when he's one of your top players. And I'm sure he'll be uh, he'll be a big boost to the locker room when he eventually comes back because he was a great player for Detroit in his little sample size towards the end of last season. But yeah, in terms of what it, what he means to the team, they're not they're not doing anything this year playoffs wise. So um, it, it it doesn't really hurt them much from that standpoint. The Vancouver Canucks signed their two big RFAs um, much needed signings, obviously for that team looking to bounce back after a rough season last year. Uh, Quinn Hughes, six years, 47.1 million for a cap hit of 7.85 and Elias Pedersen three years, 22.05 for a cap hit of 7.35. Two part question here for you, Alex. First off, Big money spent for on both those guys. Uh, change of nine percent on both of their uh, their entry level contracts. Um, how how important is it for them to be contributors to this team? But also, we're looking at a cap that may go up one one million next year. Um, how does this affect the the Vancouver Canucks overall? Um, well, I mean, obviously, it's important that those two are big contributors for the Canucks this year because I think they demonstrated with that trade for uh, Oliver ekman Larson and uh, Connor Garland. They are in it to win it this year, and I kind of respect them for it. I, I'm not sure that they were – I mean, especially after last season, I'm not sure anyone really thought that they were in a position to uh, uh, to make much noise towards the playoffs. But with them being back in the Pacific Division this year, I mean, you're talking about sharing a division with 
who the the Anaheim Ducks, the uh, the San Jose Sharks, the Seattle Kraken, who could potentially who they might they might be one of the lower teams in the division. I mean, they certainly have an opportunity, or at least more of an opportunity in the in the Pacific Division to make some noise and challenge for a playoff spot. And I think they they demonstrated that by uh, they, they demonstrated that by but by signing these deals and by, by making that trade for Ekman Larson and Connor Garland. So in that sense, I think the, I think it's super important that those guys produce for the Canucks this year. It's, I mean, you're talking about their arguably their best forward and arguably their best defenseman. So um, I, I do like the fact that they went a little longer term on Quinn Hughes because, you know, people can, you can comment on the dollar value of that, of, of that deal uh, all you want, but I mean, we watched Seth Jones get nine million a year over seven years or whatever that deal was, and the, let's face it, the defensive market is fucked right now. So, I mean, it, it's probably better for them to sign him long term or at least somewhat long term, and not have to worry about signing that contract again and having to reopen the negotiations for uh, five six years now. And for, in terms of Pedersen, I mean, he had a great season the year before uh, last season. Obviously, he had he was battling some injuries throughout the year and. Did, he, he, seem to regress a little bit but obviously he's still super super young so I do like the concept of his deal there and you know by by whatever but by the tiniest sliver of a chance that he happens to be some sort of a flash in the pan it gives them the buffer room to try and work out maybe a lower value deal but it also gives him three years to prove to the Canucks, like, hey, I can be this top contributor for you guys I want to be making more than I'm making now so uh, I think there was I, I think there were some uh I think they were pretty much on par with the deals that you'd see guys like that get signed to based on where the cap is right now and just where the market is for players like them. Peter, uh, Pedersen, now the, the highest paid forward on the Canucks. Quinn Hughes, now the highest paid defenseman on the Canucks, even over at Oliver Ekman Larson. They are right up against the cap. Um, you know, knowing what you know about this team, they are not exactly a contending team. How I'll ask you kind of the same question, but how does this affect the uh, the Vancouver Canucks moving forward? Well, I mean, if the cap is going to go up, I mean, you're probably looking at it once these contracts are up, especially for both in regards to Pedersen and Hughes. If if the defense market is still going to go up, you're looking at Hughes at you know close to nine nine point five million and Pedersen around the same range. Um, so it, the only thing that they're f- keeping their fingers crossed is if that cap goes up, because you have to worry about Brock Besser now too. Uh, five po- currently five point eight right now, and given the fact that you know he can be a very strong thirty goal scorer, you could expect to him maybe in the six six point five. There's added money, and you're going to have to probably clear some more cap space right now. I mean, you had a Garland just under five million. JT Miller five point two five the next two years, five point five for Bo Horvat, your captain, and that's going to expire in two years as well. So it's it's looking pretty dicey right now. And the fact that you have Ekman Larson on for seven point two six over the remaining years of his contract right now, six million to Tyler Myers, three million for Travis Hamanick. I it, you, it's it's gonna get pretty dicey. They're gonna have to make some. I mean, they got they cleared up a lot of bad contracts in that Ekman Larson Connor Garland deal, but in a year's two time, you're gonna have to do the same thing, and you're gonna have to make some really really tough decisions because 
chances are if you you're you're probably looking at maybe letting go maybe JT Miller. I mean, you're not going to lose Bor Horvat, your captain, and if you do, that's a big loss. You're not going to lose a 30, 30 goal scoring, sixty point player in Brock Besser. Then again, JT Miller's had two really strong seasons um, since coming over with the Canucks. Seventy two points in forty six last season in fifty three games. One of their top point producers. It's uh, and also I didn't even mention Nils Hoglander, who's you know impressive season as well. So it's. Um, yeah, they, they, they really got to think things through right now because as good as that deal to bring them in and be competitive with Garland and Ekman Larson was, they didn't look too, they didn't look ahead to the future on how it's going to impact them greatly. And that's going to be a big problem. Definition of going for it in the next two years. Yeah, it's either two years or nothing. And I don't see them being that competitive for these remaining two years. Here's what I'll say. Um, Besser, as you mentioned, some contracts coming up. Besser, uh, in 2022-23, RFA. Bo Horvat, UFA, 23-24. Um, JT Miller, same year. Uh, you've got uh, Brandon Sutter, Tyler Mott, guys that you can kind of lose. Niels uh, Hoglander, uh, RFA, 23-24. Mm-hmm. But worth noting, and I, I like that Alex brought this up, is that the defensive market, the way that it was this offseason – to be able to lock up a guy like Quinn Hughes for that long extended period of time, the six years at seven, you know, close, closer to 8 million, but just over 7 million. Um, uh, for me, that's huge. Uh, I, yeah. I think like if you, if you sign him to a bridge contract, two years, you look at it in a couple of years, the cap's gone up. He's going to be asking more. He, his, I, I don't think Quinn Hughes has reached his ceiling yet because I don't think the Vancouver Canucks have been good enough for him to reach that point. It's also worth noting that we have to remember that Braden Holpe will also be coming off the um, the salary cap for the the Canucks in two years. They owe him because of the uh, the, the buyout as well five hundred thousand this season, one point nine million in twenty two twenty three. Jake Furtanen was also bought out. They owe him fifty thousand twenty one twenty two, another five hundred thousand twenty two twenty three. Also taking up some of their cap. Roberto Luongo this year is taking up 3.03 million. Yeah. So that's a guy that will also come off the cap um, this after, after this season. So that'll open up 3 million as well. So they do have a little bit of room to play with moving forward, but it is getting to a point where now you're looking at it almost as if like the Toronto Maple Leafs where, you know, you're, you're getting into that point where you're right up against the cap and, and your wiggle room is, is very little. So they are big contracts. They're not as big as some of the Leafs, but they are big contracts. Um, but they're also guys that, you know, realistically should live up to those contracts at $7 million, uh, moving forward if, in fact, the cap does go up. And we could be looking back at Quinn Hughes' deal in, in three years and saying, what, what a steal, you know, for the next three years yeah. they have him at $7 million. Um, and based on the way that the defensive um, market's going, that's that likely will be the case. But yeah, I mean, they're not exactly putting themselves in a great spot. And I think Jim Benning kind of understands that, you know, this is his last kick of the can in Vancouver. And, and he's, you know, like you guys said, go for, go for as much as he can while you have it um, and, and see where it goes from there. But 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can bounce back. Obviously, they had the uh, COVID-ridden season last season, mm-hmm. so um, it, it, it should be a different story in Vancouver this year. We do have the Central Division breakdown uh, this episode. I, I, I didn't mention in the opening, but we don't have a guest. We're going to just talk all hockey, just the three of us this, this episode. Um, we do have two other bigger stories that we want to get to in the NHL, but before we do that, I do want to jump over to um, you know, the, the CHL and Connor Bedard starting his season off three goals in two games. Um, man, this 2022 and 2023 draft, it's going to be something, something else. I mean, we talk about Mitch in 2023. We talk about Shane Wright in 2022. Uh, yeah, it's good. Like Peter, I mean, you're, you're the head of prospects at the hockey writers. What say you on Connor Bedard? Peter was getting all giddy there at the mention. Uh, I, could, I could see it. I was, I, I, was get, <laughs> I was getting a little bit giddy there because uh, earlier today in his, uh, I believe it was um, the game against. Uh, let me double check. I, I'm I'm losing it right now. Um, the recent game, he scored two goals, and one of them was a a goal where he was in tight diving, and he goes and just roofs it. And I was, I was, I, I, I saw the clip and I was also watching the game too. Andy Le, uh, LeHue from FC posted the video and I just wrote that that was like the spiciest goal I've ever seen for a 16 year old to make that diving play and backhand it up and get a good angle. Cause the backhand is very difficult to do no matter what angle you're on. He got good elevation on that. And for a 16 year old to do that, and only his second season in the WHL, I, I mean, wow. Just wow. Like, I, I, I'm having trouble to find words to describe it because already, I mean, three goals, two games. Um, obviously, the, looking at the standings right now, there are one player, Justin Hall, not Hall, Justin Hall, has five points in two games. Um, obviously I, I, I'm expecting Connor Bedard to out, like get the points are going to roll in. I'm expecting him to lead the league this year as well. So yeah, he, he, he's really something. And I tweeted out too, uh, because the games are now on CBC with, uh, the partnership and everything, the new rights deals. If now, if you want to watch this kid or watch any of the other younger talents coming up with the drafts or your top prospects, now's the time because, this kid's going to light it up. Every other top prospect's going to light it up. But for Connor Bedard to do what he does on a consistent basis, man, it's 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 exciting. And I know, like we talked about, Mafe Mitchkov, this draft twenty twenty three is going to be really really fun. And mark it down. This kid's hands, his speed, his vision. This he and 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 again, he just never gives up. He, he, he takes no for an answer, and that, it, to me, screams number one overall. Can I just say that as the resident babyface on this podcast, I'm officially <laughs> in the stage where there are kids considerably younger than me that are doing things like this, and I fucking hate it. I hate oh. it. 
That was me when Connor McDavid got drafted. I, I know, man. And then, you know what? And, and Bedard especially messes with me because my, my younger brother just turned 17. And Bedard is younger than my little brother. So mm-hmm. it's, now it's beyond the point of guys just being my age or younger than me. It, it's like guys are younger than my little brother. And it's, once I'm at this point, it's like, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? I'll, I'll tell you what, boys. I'm, I'm not forcing anybody into anything. But my kid picked up a stick for the first time in the last couple of days. He's not holding it with two hands, but we're working on it. We're working on it. 16 <laughs> That's old. nice. He, he, we're working on it. You're teaching him the Forestburg before anything else. Nice. That's right. That's right. The yeah. one, the one handed teak. <laughs> Once you do the Forestburg, anything is possible. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we're, we're starting from the uh, from the yeah. most experienced, and we're gonna work our way back to the uh, the basics, but. Oh, I just picture you having your kid out on a backyard drink or something and like saying, all right, we're not going inside until you successfully complete the Michigan. He's like hey, two years old. Look, <laughs> He's going to be 18 months in December. I already told my wife, we're getting him a pair of skates. There's no, no ifs, hey. ands, or buts. No. Power tax. What are you getting? I, I don't know yet. I got to go look. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't bought myself skates in years, boys. I'm, I'm 30. <laughs> I'm, I'm pushing, I'm pushing the brink of uh, getting a Walker at this point. So I got to make sure I can still see you're here here here. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Alex Connor Bedard, um, you know, he had 20, 28 points in 15 games last year. Is this a guy that, you know, we talk about generational talents and there's a lot of talk surrounding Shane, right? Obviously he, he got exemption to join the OHL and the Kingston Frontenacs. Um, and now we're talking about a guy that, you know, one year later could be, could be a generational talent as well. Um, are we talking about a guy that's going to be at the same level as a guy like Sidney Crosby or a guy like Connor, Connor McDavid? I think so. Yeah. I mean, all you got to do is look at like what Peter said, the, the goal that he scored the other day and just look at what he's been doing between last season and this season and consider the fact that he's still two years away from getting drafted. Like that's all you got to do. I mean, the, like the talent that this kid has for a 16 year old, I don't even want to, I don't even want to think about what he'll be capable of when he's 18, 19 and he starts getting looks in the NHL. I mean, I, I, I don't like throwing around the term generational talent. I don't even like throwing around that term when I'm talking about someone like Austin Matthews, because I think you have to have a serious level of skill and a serious level of media hype around you to be considered generational. And having said that, I have, I'm not afraid to call Connor Bedard generational talent. I think him and Matt Mitchkov, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think him and Mitchkov are going to be just as, if not more highly touted than Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel in their draft. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, shout out to my former employer CBC for, for getting those rights and, and, and getting, you know, getting the, the, those players to have an opportunity to play in front of the entire nation. Like that's, that's what's important getting to see these guys at that, that level as well. Um, but yeah, it's going to be exciting to see over the next two seasons, what he can do. Um, and Shane Wright, even this season, it's going to be exciting to see what he does and, and, and what teams are going to get into that lottery to potentially get an opportunity to draft a, a talent at, uh, you know, at his level as well. So, um, it's going to come down to the Buffalo Sabres and the Edmonton Oilers. Oh, uh, give the, give the Detroit Red Wings a chance. I mean, they won't win the lottery, but they'll have a chance. Uh, no Arizona Coyotes? No Arizona Coyotes. They don't have a first-round pick, right? Yeah. Don't, don't they trade that away sure for, they... uh, for getting people Oof. to work out for them? Not going to happen again for Shane Wright? No. You're going to risk it? 
pretty sure the Coyotes have given up like their next eight first round picks or something like that. So they're not even worth thinking about. Yeah. Uh, um, sticking with the WHL, the Prince Albert Raiders came out with their third jerseys. Um, oh, I believe it was yesterday, but um, does anybody, anybody want to touch on this one? Whoever, how that, how that how they agreed to get approval for that is absolutely beyond me and whoever agreed to that and even who promoted or came up with that design should be fired it's honestly it's almost like Simple. they haven't been been you know looking at the headlines in sports over the last you know 5 years you know there there's multiple professional teams that have changed their names, changed their logos, yeah, changed their mascots because of this exact same thing and then they're like, "Hey, hold my beer." <laughs> and uh, honestly, the ratio of the comments and the quote tweets oh, and retweets, man. the ratio was be I, I think there was only like five retweets and there was like 280 quotes and I'm like this can't be this is not good at all. Oh, uh, the ratios are always such a telling story and I, I think my favorite joke that I saw about that was someone someone uh, tweeted out, "Oh my God, Raiders, I love your new third jersey." And then it was just a picture of a screenshot saying this tweet has been deleted. Jesus. <laughs> it's not a good God. luck when you release your third jersey and you delete it within 24 hours yeah like no. like uh, yeah just it's just it's another typical example of just There's... failing to read failing to read the room in the most egregious way possible yeah like and the fact that they even allowed it to happen I think I to me, that's the more, st- that's the sticking point right there. They agreed to allow it to happen. And I'm like, how could you? Yeah. And that's the thing. It's not, just, it's not like it, this was just one person operation. They posted it, didn't judge it properly, deleted it. There was a person who designed this. So he, mm-hmm. there, there's the person who designed that logo was in the wrong. Then you have the social media intern who looked at it and said, yeah, you know what? We're, we're going to post this. This is probably good to go. And then you have anyone else in the organization that was involved in the decision to announce that as the third jersey. Like we're talking about multiple people that looked at this and just went, Man. "Yep, there is nothing wrong with this." Your team owner, your team GM, there's a whole, your team president, there's a whole group of people. Marketing at some point, marketing, the whole marketing team at some point had to have looked at this and said, "Yeah, man, we fucked up. We fucked up." <laughs> <laughs> and nowhere along that line. And I have to say, I have to say, we're all sitting here kind of laughing and joking about it. It, it is it is a very serious thing, but it's more like it's more shock than anything, I think. Yeah. And the fact 100%. that it is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just we're at a point now where racism and homophobic and, and, and homophobia and all all that stuff is not there's no place in the game for it. No. There's no place in right. sport for it. There's no place in the world for it. And yet there's a group of people in Prince Albert that decided this was a great idea. And for that, every single one of them should hand in their resignation because that is a complete fucking debauchery of, Hey, let's design a third Jersey. Boom. There it is. We've got, we've gone against everything that we've been trying to get rid of for the last five years, for the last hundred years in sport and in the world, you just shit all over it. And you see why that there's a stigma around hockey and the culture and how it needs to change right now. It's, it's incidents like this where it's like, how can you be so tone deaf with everything going on? 
everything that's happening and you still manage to somehow screw it up even more and take everything else that you should have learned and just say, Hey, take a backseat. We're not even going to bother with this anymore. Like how could you even think that? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's much else to say about it, but yeah. Um, it was stupid, idiotic. Safe, safe to say the Prince Albert Raiders will not have a third Jersey this upcoming season. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> sticking on the, on the subject of racism in sports, uh, Alex and I kind of touched on this last episode, Jalen uh, Smerick over in the UHL mm-hmm. um, and the, the whole banana eating incident and, and you know what what kind of transpired with it i just want to say that what what smerick has done is, is phenomenal taking a step away not that he should have to but for him to take himself out of that situation let them know what you know what's acceptable and what's not and now he's getting a lot of attention from ahl teams which is great for him i hope to hell that he comes over here i hope to hell that he he gets an opportunity to continue to to pursue the game that he loves but the suspension three games plus 10 with the opportunity to buy himself out of the 10 games now i believe the cost was somewhere in the 1800 dollar range us uh when it was was like around 2300 canadian as well in that range somewhere in that range 1850 i think was to get out of the 10 game suspension so essentially three games in the 1800 us fine uh for the player who decided to to act like a complete fucking idiot and the gm of smerick's team decided to come out and, and and voice his displeasure with not only the league but the player involved and the and the racism that you know, took place in that UHL game. And Eugene Kolichev is his name. Um, and and since then, he has been let go by the team and the league. Um, and, uh, I mean, to start, we'll go, we'll go to Alex here. The, to start, the, the suspension itself was a complete and utter joke. The reaction to fire the GM for speaking out, just as much of a joke. I, I, to be honest, I, I just want to get your reaction on, on both of these. I, I can't really word it any better than you just did. Honestly, it's a fucking joke. I mean, and, and you know what? I'd be lying if I said that I expected more from, from the league because I can't imagine they, they've got the same climate over there in the Ukraine that we do over in Western civilization here in uh, North America. And it's, it, it's sad to say that, but it's just it's just one of those things where you know we we focus so hard and we've exposed so many of the flaws um of about hockey culture here in the NHL and in the OHL and in North America in general and we always talk about how there's a ways a ways a ways to go in in making sure that hockey really is for everybody and when you see shit like that happen over in the Ukraine and you have that absolute just joke of a punishment like you said Forbes I mean three games and then yeah you know and either an additional 10 games or you get to pay the small fine to get out of it and then on top of that the league is firing the GM that spoke out against it they are I mean we we thought that we were behind for hockey culture they are they're they're, they're pretty much in the 1800s at this point and it's just it's ridiculous. And, you know, the part that broke my heart the most about it was hearing Wayne Simmons' reaction to it and how he said that it, yeah. he, he, he was debating not even getting his kids into hockey because he didn't want them to have to put up with that. 
And that's heartbreaking. Wayne Simmons is a, he's a fan favorite in Toronto. He's been a fan favorite in Philadelphia. He's, he's a great hockey player. And I'm sure someday we would love to see Wayne Simmons kids playing. How cool would that be to see them playing and, you know, potentially making a career doing the same thing that their dad did following in his, in his footsteps. And the fact that he doesn't feel the game is safe for his kids and he, he wants, he feels that they're not going to be protected against racism if they play that that's the part that's heartbreaking to me the most. And, you know, for Wayne Simmons, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure he's no, he's no stranger to having to deal with racist pricks growing up playing hockey. Uh, I actually think one of them, I, I thought I remember hearing a story from a, from a preseason tournament or something. A couple through, of years through ago banana here was, in London, here yeah, in London. Yeah, there was London. At, at that's, yeah, it was. yeah. Through that's banana right, on, yeah. The, on so, the ice. The guy, the guy claimed that he was just, that was the debris he had in his hands. He was upset and he threw it on the ice says he had nothing to do with with uh with Wayne Simmons which is a complete fucking joke as well so so the guy randomly just brought a banana into the game for no reason yeah yeah that's uh that's joke. what he claims he's that's the he's worst excuse scumbag. I've ever heard complete scumbag yeah, yeah. at least but oh man yeah no I don't have much else to say on that topic I mean it's we, we all know it's a joke it's ridiculous there's work mm-hmm. to do that's just <laughs> it, it's it, it is a joke that's that's where I'll leave it yeah, I can't remember where I read the comment, uh, but there was a comment made about the UHL game, and basically it said, you know, the only reason this was brought up, the only reason that this is an issue is because the game was televised, and that's why it was caught. And that, to me, that was what kind of broke my heart, is that, you know, it's kind of this don't see, don't tell type of mentality. And that's that's the problem that we're seeing now, especially, and we're going to get into it in just a little bit here, but that's the problem in the, the NHL as well. And so... Peter, I want to throw it to you real quick because I one, I want your reaction on on the the whole incident in the UHL. But two, I mean, we we talk about a guy like Tony D'Angelo with his comments made sometimes and in, in him getting back back in the game. And I wonder how different North American culture is compared to the Ukraine and and really if hockey culture is any different here in North America. <sighs> That's a tough one. I mean, you see what happened over there. Obviously, Alex touched on it. They're so out of touch with everything. I mean, yeah, we still have a ton of issues over here. I mean, we see it with some of the players, well, mainly Tony D'Angelo from what we've seen, but how many other times have we not seen anything happening? And it's... I, it, 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 I mean... What I'm going to say is no, no different than what Alex said. Alex basically nailed everything on the head. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm just really disappointed in the whole entire league, the suspension and everything like that. How, again, somehow the victim is at fault here for just wanting to play the game, play his heart out, get to the NHL, um, and, you know, just make the career out of it. I mean, I, I don't understand what's so difficult and why the, why people have to go out and do these kind of like disgusting acts. Like I, I, it's, it really is beyond me. And for the league to come out and say that, Oh, it's only caught because it was televised. Um, dumbest thing I've ever heard. Number one, you don't think that there are fans in there with cell phones too, filming everything. You don't think that that's going to get leaked out from on social media. It's we're the social media age and every, we have a camera on our phone. Everything's going to get, we're going to see it somehow, whether it's a grainy footage on a camera or live TV, we're still going to see it no matter what. So that response is just a crock of, 
I'm, I'm not going to swear because I want to try and keep a civil tongue, but at the same time, it's just, it, it, it's, it, it's disgusting. It's sad. And honestly, when Wayne's, when Wayne said, obviously Wayne's saying that he doesn't want his kids to play, it's heartbreaking because we want to have more people of color and, and the game be more inclusive. Obviously, you know, we still have a long ways to go to reach that because we're still dealing with stuff like this. And it's up to a major league like the NHL and even the double IHF to come in and say, you know what, we're not going to tolerate this crap anymore. I think that a double IHF should intervene and say, you know what, the suspension was not good enough. Ban the guy. I don't care if he, I don't even know this player's ranking, if he's one of the top players in the Ukraine or whatever. I don't know. Even if he is, screw it. You don't deserve to have the luxury of playing professional hockey if you're not going to be a professional or, you know, be a civil person on and off the ice. You're going to do that. You don't deserve to play at all. I don't care. If, if someone's going to be like, oh, you deserve a second chance, don't give me that bullshit. That, something like that does not deserve a second chance. You, he knew what he was doing. He's not, he's not going to say that, oh, uh, it was an accident. It was in the heat of the moment, yada, yada, yada whatever. I don't want to hear it anymore. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was doing. Stop, tr- stop playing to – stop trying to make the victim like they're at fault here and protect the one that committed the act itself. There is no way that um, Jalen Smerich should have left the game in any form or capacity just to make a point and say that, hey, I'm not going to play until this guy's suspended. He shouldn't have to. Though the guy who committed the act gets a slap on the wrist and say, oh, yeah, you know, you learned your lesson. What message does that send? It sends nothing. And the fact that we still have to try and fight for what's right, it's sickening. It really is. And you know what? One more thing that I want to I, I wanna say that I, I – I brought up last week and I just want to because Peter you kind of cued me up perfectly about the fact that you know he knew what he was doing and everything I I think the most bullshit part of this whole story was his pathetic excuse of an apology on Instagram or whatever it was oh yeah where where he goes um uh, he he closes it off by saying unfortunately emotions get very high in hockey and I was telling Forbesy last week I've played hockey obviously not at a high level but I've played hockey before I understand how um how emotionally charged sports can get. I've been in that position too. I've been at a point where my emotions have been through the roof and I've been a little extra tenacious towards my opponent. Not once have I ever felt the urge to say something racist or make a gesture like that or say something homophobic or anything. Yeah. You can, you can be an emotional player without being a piece of shit. And yeah. he knew what he was doing. This wasn't just a slip of the tongue. And even, even if it was, like, why is why does playing with high emotions give you a fucking pass to say shit like that or do shit like that? Mm-hmm. And it's just it, it just it, it drives me off the wall when I hear that stupid excuse of oh it's high emotions. This is what happens when you play professional sports. It's like no, you know how many people have played professional sports and not done something like that? Like yeah. it, it's just it's just it was a pathetic excuse of an apology. The whole situation is bullshit. You mentioned emotions, and during the All or Nothing promo clip, or the first five minutes that was featured on the Steve Dangle podcast network, you hear Joe Thornton go off the rail, be like, what are you going to do? And he says, you're effing dead. So that's emotions going high. Peeling open a banana peel and taunting a person um, a, a person of color, that's not emotions running high. 
that is a blatant act of racism and for you to say that it, it's just a total choke like mm-hmm. it really is yeah. i said i said this last week too alex and i said you know i i played hockey i played lacrosse at a high level as well and um you know when emotions are running high you you go and you go and try and hurt the player you go and hack him in the back of the leg or in in the cross you know you know there's no padding on the arms you go and hack him in the arms or or give him a little cross check up up in the shoulder area that's going to slide up and maybe get him in the side of the neck or something like that you know that that's emotion that's that's somebody you know using what they can in the game to to get back at that player you guys have nailed every part of this on the head and I'm not going to, I'm not going to reiterate anything that you said, but what I'm going to say is that this guy has done it before. He's going to do it again. And he's a piece of shit for doing every little bit of that. That was thought out. That was planned. That was thought out. It was, it was not something that he did in the heat of the moment. You don't take your glove mm-hmm. off or, 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 or whatever, you know, peel a banana and, and, and pretend to eat it and, and not think about it before you do it. That was thought out. And because of that, like, this is a guy, you know, I, I just looked up his stats and he's a guy that averages over a point a game in the UHL. And that's why he's not going anywhere. That's why they're not going to suspend him yeah. because he's the entertainment in the UHL. And that league is a joke. That league is a piece of shit. And that's the only reason that he's still around is because they, they want that, that enticement to, to bring this guy back in. I don't even know if that's a word enticement, but I'm going to use it right now because you know, I, if I was if I was Smerich's teammate, I would have taken the 10, 15 game suspension, whatever the UHL does, and I would have come off that bench and I would have gone right after him. And I would have given him every little piece. I would have made sure that his face was down in that ice and that he was eating the snow off the goddamn ice because that is the lowest piece of shit kind of move that I can ever think of. And to, to, to bring in somebody's personal life, somebody's colors, whatever, um, yeah, I, I mean – I, yeah. I hope I hope this this Dennis Ken kid never makes it to the NHL or or North America because, um, you know it's not going to be the same kind of same kind of feel over here and you, you're gonna you're gonna feel you're gonna feel that heat. So um, he better he better hope that Wayne Simmons doesn't get near him because Wayne made the comment saying that you know there's one or two things: bend a guy or have have your back watched because they're going to be coming after you. Absolutely. So there's that. And also good, uh, somewhat good news out of all of this. Um, Kevin McGrant from the Toronto star wrote a really great detailed piece of the whole incident saying that Jalen Smerick has returned to the ice. And his reasoning is he still wants to reach to the top and be the best player and make the NHL and achieve his dream. So the fact that he is back good on him. But he again, he shouldn't have to. He shouldn't have gone to have have gone through all this just to make it to the NHL. Like, it, it, yeah, yeah. But let's get into the NHL because yeah. Robin Lehner is making headlines. The NHL itself wants to meet with the veteran goalie, and uh, in a recent string of tweets, Robin Lehner basically exposed. Um, malpractice and maltreatment of of certain drugs in nhl locker rooms including nolan patrick with the philadelphia flyers and uh use of ambien and um you know that all that kind of stuff dealing with anxiety diazepines diazepines yep um so it's it's a very very interesting story um, obviously Rick Westhead is now involved. He seems to be at the heart of all these crazy stories. 
Um, but one, one tweet that uh, Rick West had put out, I, w- I want to kind of read it off before we get into the, the topic here. He wrote context, Benza, uh, benzodiazepines typically prescribed for anxiety, insomnia, seizures, and panic disorders. They slow brain activity. People can become physically dependent on them in just days. The FDA in 2020 demanded new warning label for the drug, which involved 30% plus of opioid ODs. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if anybody has listened to, uh, the Chicklets podcast, you know, that, you know, they kind of joke about using ambience to, to get to sleep and, you know, biz and, and, and what they, they always kind of talk about it a little bit, but it's crazy. The amount of, of usage that, you know, it, these, these players, these athletes use it to, to get to their, you know, afternoon naps or whether they get to sleep at night or what have you. Um, Dan Carcillo brought up um, Steve Monador and uh, obviously rest his soul. Steve Monador was a, you know, a a player that was had 19 or what was it? 21 head injuries. I believe it was 19, 19 concussions in the NHL and he was still cleared to play. Jesus. So, um, you know, and obviously Alan Walsh got into the conversation as well. He's a guy that, uh, you know, has been very outspoken in a number of occasions on Twitter as well. So Peter, um, what, you know, this league what has become a talking point in many different aspects over the last, I want to say six months. Um, Alan Walsh's retweet of Dan Carcillo, he hashtagged league of denial. Are we talking about a league now that is maybe in further than they they ever knew that they would be? It's 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 an absolute joke. I mean, it's it's cover up after cover up after cover up, issue after issue after issue right now. It's it's disgusting. It really really is. And this is all stemming from the fact that also he he went on he also had a rant online about how Jack Eichel's being mistreated. And we've talked about it many times on this podcast before how he's being mistreated with his medical condition and had how the team's not they putting the best interest of the player in, in, in their mind. Same thing's happening right now. They're going behind their backs, prescribing severe drugs just so that for, for what, for what, like what good is this going to do for them? And the fact that this is still happening under Gary Bettman's watch, multiple issues, allegations, it's piling up. It's time to clean house with the management, with all the directors, executives, whatever, because they're not doing anything. And the players are left off to fend for themselves right now. And the fact that what gets to me is... Leonard tweeting out, is it common for workplaces to give out benzodiazepines to employees when they travel on ambience? Should that not be done by doctors or psychi- or psychiatrists? Asking for a friend, this doesn't happen in Vegas, but I know many other teams. Other teams. This is, this is going on with multiple organizations right now. And the fact that you're prescribing heavy doses of these kind of drugs just so that they can get back and make sure that they feel fine you you heard the amount of like ODs with these drugs, 30%. That's a high number. And given how the opioid crisis has just been a constant issue over these past few years, 
I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I, I, it, it's, I don't know what to think. I, I'm going to jump in here, Peter, because I, it, it is, it, it is an issue. And then you add to that players leaving the game, whether it be on their own terms or not. Um, suddenly they don't know what to do, the, do with themselves. You see it in all jobs, not just pro- professional athletes, but all of a yeah. sudden that's what you've known for all this time. And then you leave the game. Um, you know, you're already hooked on these opioids. Um, and all of a sudden now you're going down that road. And I, I before I throw it to Alex here, I want to, I want to read out the, the thread that Dan Carcillo put together today. Uh, it was a 10 tweet thread but one that was very important to read. And Carcillo is a guy who, who obviously struggled with his own substance abuse, um, you know, had, had a number of head injuries, was, a, was an enforcer in the NHL uh, for a long time, um, you know, was, was a hell of a player in junior as well. And I think that, that kind of got away, away from him when he made the NHL. But worth, worth reading if you have a chance to jump on Twitter. Happy to see some current NHL players sticking up for themselves. NHLPA, where are you at? Robin Lander and Jack Eichel's treatment by the Buffalo Sabres is in no way an isolated incident. I'm sure you could dig up thousands of stories just like it. Some are worse. His name was Steve Monador. He was my best friend. He was cleared for 19 concussions in the NHL. He was cleared for four concussions in a span of 12 weeks while we, while we played together um, on the, the NHL, or sorry, the, uh, the Blackhawks bring up the Blackhawks again, uh, a franchise that has been in the news in a lot of bad ways um, over the last few months. His 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th brain injuries in just 571 NHL games. The Blackhawks couldn't get Steve cleared after his 19th concussion. They were trying everything to get him to feel good enough to sign his fit, uh, fit to play, but were unsuccessful until he made a decision on his own to seek out another op- uh, opinion and treatment option. Luckily, during the lockdown, Steve and I experienced recovery and some relief from our repetitive concussions by going to see a special man. So he decided to go again against the advice of the team and management. I remember sitting there with him the night before he left, crying and talking about the possible repercussions from the team if he leaves without permission. It wasn't an easy decision. But Steve was strong enough to leave and seek out treatment that he knew had worked for him and for Sidney Crosby in 2011. Once he came back after two weeks of treatment, he was better. He was able to pass an unapproved, non-peer-reviewed exertion test that the Blackhawks implement for all players to pass before returning to play. Once he did that, the team asked him to sign his fit to play. This is where you see the true colors of management running the Blackhawks organization. Within hours of signing his fit to play, the Hawks sent Steve down to the HL club. He wasn't a, a black ace or allowed uh, with or around our team during the 2013 Stanley Cup run. He was completely blackballed and seeking out treatment outside or for seeking out treatment outside of the team's medical staff. Treatment that got him better, treatment that got Crosby better. There's more to this story that I can't share because of litigation. Steve was the type of person and teammate that sacrificed himself for the good of the team and who went out of his way to make you feel special and wanted. What the Hawks did to him, I will never forget. It crushed his spirit. It killed him. I miss you every day, my brother. I know you are guiding me still. Like today, I can feel your presence at times and will continue to honor your legacy. So what's the solution? Is there a solution? I love the saying, nothing changes if nothing changes. 
Only current players have the power to make these changes within the NHLPA. Remember, guys, you pay the dues. They work for you. Put people in power who will work for you and go to battle. Peace and love. So, Alex, with all that said, I mean, that's, that's a pretty heavy message. That is a pre- – like, I've got chills reading that message. And I'm not the best reader, so that took me, that took me a lot of concentration to do that. But, Alex – your thoughts on Don, Dan Carcillo's message and what this means for the NHL and the NHLPA. Well, I mean, Carcillo's message, first of all, was, was, was heartbreaking and heavy and emotional all in one. And I mean, yeah. I, I think we all remember when Steve Monroe passed and maybe at the time we didn't know the severity of how, how the NHL had treated him. And I will say it's, it's good that it, it as much as it shouldn't be only coming to light now, I, I'm glad it finally is. Um, in terms of Robin Lehner, I mean, I, I truthfully, I truly, truly hope that if the NHL does go forward and do this interview with him, I really hope he doesn't back down from his position. And I really, really hope that uh, he spe- he keeps on speaking his mind because this is a legitimate issue. And it just goes to prove that the owners and the suits of the NHL do not give a fuck about anything except for money. And, yep. you know, if, if, you, if you're a – if there's any way to get your star players on the ice or just get your players on the ice in general, it doesn't even have to be your star players. If there's any way to get your guys on the ice, whether it be prescribing them illegal – well, not illegal, but prescribing them drugs without telling them what it is and just saying, hey, trust me, just take a few of these, they'll feel better. It, it just it, – again, it just proves the point that they don't care about anything but icing a guy, icing, or icing a full roster. <clears throat> and – you know, upon hearing everything that's coming out, I can't help but think of Tyler Skaggs, the, the pitcher for the LA Angels a couple of years back who yeah. uh, passed away after his his team. I, I don't remember what the guy's role on the team was, if he was a trainer or if he was part of the medical staff. Eric Kay, I, I think his name was, but he was prescribing Skaggs with these very heavy oxycontin pills to help them service painkillers. And he overdosed one night and he's dead just like that. And he, he left behind a wife and I can't remember if he had kids or not, but either way, he left behind family members he was and he was 20s. way too young. Yeah. He was, he was, 20s. he was only in his twenties. Yeah. And it's just, it's shit like that where it's like, you've got the NHL has to do something about this and prove that they prove that they give a shit about their players. Because in the end, if there's no players, there's no league. And you know, what, what, how is this, how is the NHL going to be an inviting league if they keep, they keep on treating their players like this. And, you know, I, I, one final thing I want to say on this topic is that if you're one of those people saying, oh, Robin Lehner, I mean, he's, we, you got to wonder where his mental state's at with all this stuff that he's tweeting out. Cause I have seen a bunch of people saying shit like that. And if, if you're saying that you're part of the problem and you know, if for Robin Lehner, a guy that's openly spoken out about the conditions that he's been in and the treatment that he's gotten from, from NHL executives and stuff we got to listen to these guys. We got to listen to them tell their stories and we got to take it seriously because otherwise change isn't going to happen. And there's going to be more Steve Monadors and more Derek Bugars, more Rick Rippins yeah. and Wade Belak. Wait, more Wade Belak. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and it's heartbreaking, but we don't want this to happen anymore. And until, until the NHL starts treating their players like people, it's going to keep happening. And that's the sad, that, that's the sad reality here. So it's, it's just, it's heartbreaking. And it once again serves as a reminder that they don't care about anything but money. I love that's the that sad you, part. Sorry. That's the sad part, really. Yeah, no, I, I love Alex that you brought up that last point about until they start treating their players like people, because 
one of the things that Jack Eichel said when he was, you know, fighting for what he wants, the the process that he wants to go through to, to try and, you know, fix his back issue. He said, I am owned by the team. And while I don't agree with their decision, I am owned by the team. And that was, to me, that was very telling. And now with all this kind of coming out, it's, it's, it's an, he's alluding to the fact that they are treating them like a product. They are not people. They are robots that function in this product. That is hockey. That is NHL hockey. And that is, and, and, and if you go through Robin Lander's tweets, you'll, you'll come across one where he talks about they were, they were fixing their robots essentially. That's all they're doing. They're fixing their robots, getting them back Mm -hmm. up, making sure that they work and making sure that they can do their job. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately that's what it's come down to is, yeah, you know, hockey's always been a business. We, we understand that it's a business, but at the end of the day, these are people, they have wives, they have kids, they have mothers, they have, you know, dads, brothers, sisters, you name it. They have people out there that love them and, and care about them. And they don't always, and unfortunately, because of the culture that surrounds the game, they don't always open up the way that some do, like Robin Lehner has over the past two or three seasons since he had his, you know, uh, bi- I believe it was a bipolar um, diagnosis. And he he's spoken very openly about that, his, his mental yeah. health. And um, more people need to do that. More people yeah. need to evaluate where they are in this hockey world, in this hockey culture and understand that there's life beyond hockey there. You know, if, if Jack Eichel were to decide to retire tomorrow, we have to understand that it's not a business decision. It's a personal decision where the game has become detrimental to his overall health, to his longevity as a human being. And um, I think this is just the beginning. I really do. And I, I hope this is just the beginning. And I, I'm right on there with you, Alex, in, in, in thinking that I really hope that Laner decides to go through with this interview and really stand his ground. And, and right now, he's got the league by the balls. Yeah. He, he, he is on the high ground. He has, he has the spotlight. People want to know what he has to say it's the league that has to try and find yeah. a way to navigate through this. And mm-hmm. until they do, um, I, I, I only foresee more, more of these discussions coming up in the future. And I, I hope to hell that we don't have to have this discussion again. I hope to hell that we never have to talk about a Wade Bielak or a Rick Rippin or a, uh, a Derek Bugard. I hope to hell that we never have to talk about those guys, mm-hmm. but there, there may come a day where we do be if the NHL does not decide to open their doors to to this kind of uh, thought process, to this kind of mentality, to this kind of you know abuse, really abuse, abuse, this yeah. malpractice. Yeah. So you know, and Forbes, you made a great point there that I want to highlight one more time about how it's all part of the hockey culture and the fact that. You know, guys feel threatened. Their, their careers feel threatened if they don't comply with what their bosses say. And when, when you say that, it reminds me of a part of the Blackhawks investigation where Brad Ulrich, the, the video coach, told uh, John, Doe, John Doe 1 or John Doe 2, whichever one it was, that if he didn't do what he said, then he'd ruin his hockey career. 
and it's that kind of manipulation. And I get, I get that you, like you can't like obviously you can compare the two because even though they're completely different issues, you've got a sex abuse scandal versus a, a drug scandal. They're both scandals either way, and they're both putting players' livelihoods at risk. And they're both in abuse. both in both situations. They are both abuse. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And in both situations, um, you've got a person who has all the power using that power to manipulate his players to doing something that they're not comfortable with. That's not healthy for them. Just so they, just so they get back out on the ice. And that's the part that needs to change because until then we're going to keep seeing these unfortunate, as sad as, as it, as sad as it is to say, we're, like I said, we're still, we're going to keep seeing these Steve monitors and these Wade Belaks and these Derek Bugards until that culture changes. And like I said, until the NHL starts treating their players like people and stops bribing them uh, with bribing them and dangling their hockey careers above their heads to get them what they do, because it's just, it, 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 we, at what, at some point you got to ask the question of how criminal is this, right? Like, yeah. Worth noting too, that although the Blackhawks seem to headline both of these stories, it's not just a story about the, the Chicago Blackhawks. It's a, it's a league wide issue. It's, it's, it's probably a hockey wide issue. Um, and it's just, it just so happens that they, they are involved in both, both situations here, but um, can yeah. a player be head of the players association? Because my vote is for Robin Lehner right now. I, you know, I, I don't believe so because it is a union, but my, my, my take on this is that they need it. They need a complete restructuring. Yeah. The league, Tear down. The, the NHL PA, they need a complete restructuring. They need to figure out where the old school minds are at. And this is, this is an old school mentality. This is, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, you've taken a hit. You're, you, you got a broken leg. Boom. Get your back out there. Talk to Bobby Bond who played for the Leafs went out on a broken leg and, and scored the game winner in a Stanley cup, Stanley cup game. But um, you know, probably, probably has a bum leg at this point, if you were to talk to him um, because of, because of, you know, the, we call it grit. We call it, you know, um, hard nosed hockey, but I mean, how much of it is is really just a team trying to get their their best players back out on the ice as soon as possible? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, this is a story that's just going to continue and unfold, and I'm sure we'll be we'll be talking about it again. But like I like like you said, Alex, I hope uh, I hope Laner you know holds the league by the balls and 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 you know twist twist when he needs to because. Um, mm-hmm. There, there sure as hell a lot of a lot of people in that head office that could uh, use a little bit of a wake up. So, yeah. With that, I know our our episode's going a little long here, so we're gonna quickly do a run through of the Central Division uh, before we get to our Maple Leaf talk. But, um, oh, I mean, why not start with the Chicago Blackhawks? Alex, your thoughts on the Chicago Blackhawks in this year's Central Division? Stri- strictly hockey related. This? Strictly hockey, hockey related, yeah. Yeah. Get to the um, point. I mean, uh, they they brought in Mark Andre Fleury. That's a that's that that's a great ad for them. And uh, obviously, there was a little bit of a question at the time of uh, how much of a role, or I mean, not how much of a role, but whether or not Fleury wanted to play with the Blackhawks or whether he wanted to retire because obviously he kind of got the shit end of the stick from his uh, uh, from his general manager in Vegas there. But uh, overall, I think that was a good, uh, good, good transaction for them, bringing in a goalie like that. And uh, you know, the Blackhawks are kind of past their, they're kind of past their grace period 
Um, they're, they're no longer in the days of, you know, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tavis being the top duo of the league. Um, but, uh, you know, the central division, things could go anywhere. Uh, there, there really could be any, uh, uh, it really could go in any direction. And the, the Blackhawks, I mean, when you've got a goaltending tandem of Marc-Andre Fleury and Kevin Lankin, and I think that's definitely one of the better tandems in the league, especially with what Lankinen was able to do last year. Um, yeah, I mean, they didn't make too many big moves that I'm aware of. I know they brought in Jujar Kara, uh, Adam Godet. They, I, I think, was they, they, they traded for Godet last year and they just re-signed him, right? If I recall correctly, I think they traded him for him from the Canucks. Yeah, um, I believe so, yeah. So, yeah. Uh -huh. They got Tyler Johnson in there, who was kind of an underrated ad, in my opinion. Jake McCabe is a big, uh, uh, big, big ad to the back end. So, you know, the, the Blackhawks, they strike me as a team, obviously, and also to mention Jonathan Taves coming back will be a big boost for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, the Blackhawks, I mean, I think they're kind of in the position now where they, they don't want to commit to a full rebuild because, um, you know, you don't, they don't want to, they don't want to have to, part ways with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. I think they want to kind of maintain, keep those guys as the face of the Blackhawks. But at the same time, I don't think, I think they recognize that they're not in a position to spend to become a complete contender. So I don't know. Yeah. They're like, I, 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 I see them finishing somewhere in the middle of the pack in the central this year. Yeah. I think, I think they're at a point now where you're right. They're not going to go through a full rebuild, but I do think they're going to be one of the more underrated teams in the central. You got to at there. You have Taves coming back. You have Kane. You have Seth Jones. You brought in Caleb Jones. Seth, you brought you brought in. Just, uh, I missed I missed the biggest transaction of the offseason <laughs> when I was breaking it down there. Yeah, the Seth defensive Jones, market. The defensive market is based on Seth yeah. Jones and Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. Um, but Caleb Jones comes in. He's he's uh, an interesting pickup as well. The biggest losses for them, obviously, Duncan Keith and uh, David Camp coming over to Toronto, uh, and and Suter, uh, Suter uh, going to Detroit as well. So. Um, Peter, with all that in mind, what are your thoughts on the Chicago Blackhawks? I, I I don't think they're going to be all that successful this year, even with Mark Andre Fleury. I I don't think that you know this is a team that's past their prime, and they're trying to they're trying to do what the Maple Leafs did in a sense where try and plug all these uh, missing spots with you know players that could come in and hopefully make an impact. I don't see Seth Jones being a top number one pairing guy after, you know, maybe a bad stint. Maybe it was just with Columbus because he did farewell early on, but sort of declined and regressed after that. I, I, is he a true number one? Probably not. Top four, maybe, but not top pairing. And even looking at their depth, it's... It's good, but again, it's not great. Um, Tyler Johnson, I don't think that, you know, you're going to get much out of him other than maybe close to that 30, 40 point threshold is hopefully we, they hope that Jonathan Taze is coming back to that 50, 60 point range. Um, but he did miss a full year and that's going to be difficult for any player to come back. I'm glad he is coming back first and foremost. It's just, there's a lot of question marks right now and to also pin everything on Mark Andre Fleury, it, big, big asking, big, tall order for me. You guys, we didn't even mention uh, Kubalik and Kirby doc. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do think doc's going to have a, a breakout season, obviously coming mm -hmm. off the injury last season, a little bit of a slow return, but um, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, 
they are definitely on the downslope. They're on the back nine, those star guys. But you, you do have a, a team that has a little bit of a pipeline and can possibly get some of those younger guys into the lineup if, if in fact, they have some injuries down the stretch. But, yeah, I, I would think they're middle of the pack. Um, I think beyond that, playoff team, maybe bubble. I, I would say they're right on the bubble there if, if we're talking playoffs. But, um, yeah, we'll see how Marc-Andre – fares in Chicago uh jump over to the Arizona Coyotes and besides their shit storm of a an arena deal that's going on right now um this is a team that uh, obviously is you know break it down burn it down whatever you want to call it get right to the very bottom and 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 kind of build it back up lose Nick uh Jarmelson he retires um Auntie Ranta, he's gone to Carolina. Darcy Cooper, he's gone to Colorado. Michael Bunting, gone to Toronto. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> aside from that, I mean, you're talking about a team that's got to go young, and they they have to go, they have to go with some of the some of the assets they have in in the pipeline. Peter, is do we see Dylan Gunther playing in Arizona this season? I, as good as he's been. I think it's going to be the wrong move. It's it's he's being thrusted into a position right now where he's the top prospect. It seems like all, everything's going to rest on his shoulders right now. And I think right now in a team that's in a rebuilding stage, I don't think you want to rush someone with his talent and skill set to be a dominant power forward with great two way capabilities and a booming shot. I think right now, I I counted one, two, three. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve UFAs on this team after 21, 22 is over. I think that the main thing that they should do is go out, try and sign some, I mean, free agents that are willing to come over there because their situation is just not great at all. Um, building wise, arena wise, organizational wise. But they, one thing I'm just going to say is they have the picks to kickstart this rebuild right now. And in 2022, they have seven in the first two rounds. This is going to be a really good draft. So if they wanted to start right away, this is the main point for them. So, I mean, the organization itself, I don't see them being that competitive. I don't. I, I would hope Dylan Genther isn't going to be – that one that one player that they're going to rest all their hopes on for this year in a year where nothing's going to matter at all, just go out, get the picks, continue the rebuild, and that's that, that's all I got to say about that. Alex, is this the team that's uh, going to make it right this year and and possibly go after Shane in the 2022 NHL draft? I don't think they really have a choice. If I'm being honest. <laughs> I don't think there's really much of a debate there. Um, you know, they remind me a lot of the 2015-16 the, the Leafs and the fact that they just have nothing exciting going for them on their team. I, I think that especially when you take a look at their free agent signings, I mean, bringing in um, – I'm seeing that they brought in uh, – what's his name? Ryan Dezingle, guy like that on a one-year contract. Um, they're, they're bringing in guys like – I'm just scrolling through the list here because I, I barely even know what the Coyotes did this offseason. That's how, that's how, that, that's how I don't think the, even uh, we do. We don't, no, we don't that's, focus that's, on AHL teams here. We focus ooh. on AHL teams. 
<laughs> yeah. Anyways, bring in guys like, yeah, they got the zingle. They brought in Dimitri Askin on a one-year contract, Carter Hutton. I mean, with to me, what that says is those guys are sort of like the, uh, the Sean Mathias and the Daniel Winnick and the PA Parentos of the Leafs days, where you're bringing in guys who um, could be attractive trade pieces to cup teams, cup contending teams towards the trade deadline. Like a guy like Ryan Dezingle, you know, he, he's shown some offensive prowess in the past. So that might be a perfect opportunity of them to play Dezingle on their top line and get him maybe scoring some goals, maybe over overproducing a little bit, raise his value come the trade deadline. And, you know, for a team that's looking for a middle six winger to slot in, you could potentially get a higher, a high round pick out of that. I'm not saying a first round pick, but, you know, anything, I think that's what rebuilding teams do. I mean, anytime you bring in a veteran on a one-year contract on a rebuilding team, I think the intention all the way is to trade the ship them out to a contending team come the deadline. And I think that's exactly what they're doing by bringing in guys like uh, Dimitri Askin and uh, Brian Dezingle and the list goes on. So <clears throat> Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think this is a team that needs to just continue to burn it down. It's going to be a team that signs a lot of one-year contracts over the next couple of seasons as they slowly push towards relevancy in the NHL again. Um, but uh, you have to wonder how guys like Phil Kessel feel, um, knowing damn well that this team is is complete garbage at this point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, bottom of the bottom of the pack, and uh, we'll see we'll see what they can do in the uh, draft lottery once uh, once the season's over with. Um, <laughs> let's jump over to the Colorado Avalanche. They have not changed much this off season aside from in net. Philip Grubauer obviously signing with the Seattle Kraken. They couldn't come to terms, and and word is that possibly Joe Sackick didn't think that Philip Grubauer was the guy that they were going to get it done with. So they bring in a guy like Darcy Cooper who comes off a world championship with Canada uh, played with a, a solid team. And there's a lot of belief that Darcy Cooper could actually be a better goalie than Philip Grubauer, just not having played for a good team like Colorado. Alex thoughts on Colorado going forward this season. You know, I saw someone point this out on Twitter the other day, and I just want to make a note of it because I do think it's a little ironic. Everybody always talks about Colorado. And trust me, I'm a, I would consider the Avalanche probably if I had to pick a second favorite team, I would probably consider them to be my second favorite team because when I got to the Hockey Writers back in October of 2020, uh, the Leafs team was full. So I started off my time here covering the Colorado Avalanche, and I started watching them a little more often. And so – Kind of grew, I grew a little bit attached to that team. I won't say attached. That's probably not the right word. But either way, like I, I, I do like the Avalanche's team. However, I do think it's ironic that people always talk about them like they're this some sort of Western Conference powerhouse that every team should be striving to build their team. Like they have not been able to make it past the second round. And, you know, the Leafs always get clowned on, rightfully so, for not being able to get past the first round. But since when did they start raising banners for winning a first round and getting eliminated in the second round, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, the Avalanche, I like I, – I don't think they had to change much from last year. I mean, you know, if you're going to lose a guy like Grubauer between the pipes, then you got to make sure you replace him with someone, and they did with uh, Darcy Kemper. Um, you're obviously looking at guys that they've got a really talented young defensive core with guys like Kale McCarr, uh, Bowen Byram, and Samuel Girard. Uh, they, they've got a very young – lots of young talent back there. And then up front, we all know they boast the line of McKinnon, Ranson, and Landis Gog, and they've got Kadri and Brand, uh, not Brandon Sod anymore. My apologies, he's in St. Louis now. But either way, you've got a lot of talent on the team, and 
I mean, the, I, I, I like the moves. I, they didn't, like I said, they didn't have to do too much. Uh, what they, they did what they had to do between the pipes. There wasn't really any other areas on their roster that they had to improve on, so to say. But, yeah, I mean, I want, you got to wonder when they're going to start having conversations of having to shake something up if they can't get past the second round. Because in the end, yeah, obviously getting to the second round is better than getting to the first round. But if you're not at least making noise beyond there and making the Stanley Cup final, like, what are you doing? So... Yeah, I mean, I think at that point you're still a loser because you're not winning. So, um, Peter, they 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 possibly their biggest move might have come when they they re-signed Gabriel Landeskog to a to a major deal. Um, obviously, moving Connor Timmins, a, a big defensive prospect, they have more than enough defensive prospects on that uh, or young defensemen on that team. What what should we expect from the Colorado Colorado Avalanche this season? Uh, I think more of the same. I mean, high octane offense, great powerhouse with the top line. Um, expect Alex Newhook to take a big step forward this year. I'm, yeah. I'm really thinking that with his speed, with his ability to just go from zero to 60, just like that. Um, I think he's going to be poised for a middle six role, maybe even on the set. Well, Middle six is the second line, third line, but it, I, I think he has a good chance to push for that second line spot. Um, maybe, I mean, I know he's a centerman, but at the same time, maybe he could push someone down. Um, it's it's his job to take right now, and he has a good opportunity to run away with that. I'm I'm curious to see how the defense is going to shape up. I mean, not necessarily for like Kill McCarr, Samuel Gerard, or Devin Tays, but they brought in Ryan Murray as sort of like that third-pairing shutdown kind of defenseman. It's something that not necessarily they lacked, but I think they wanted to try and and replicate with I, – I can't remember if they lost somebody. Um, who did they lo- lose to New Jersey? Ryan Graves. Ryan Graves. Ryan Graves. Ryan Graves. Try and bring in another Ryan Graves type of player. And I, they, they basically essentially just swapped um, Graves with – uh, Murray. So I'm curious to see, not curious to see, but I'm hoping that he could still be a really great shot blocker, stay at home D man to try and lock things down and be a real big factor on the penalty kill. Obviously the offense is not going to come, um, not really known for that, but at the same time, you know, low risk move signed a one year, $2 million contract with them. Um, if he does well, great. You could get another extension that's really great value for someone that they want to have in their third pairing. And, you know, you look at the names that I mentioned, and even if Bowen Byram is on that third pairing, I mean, that's really great balance right there. Yeah. Real quick here on the topic of Ryan Murray, let's just take a second to talk about how much of a fucking disaster that 2012 draft was. The first four picks being Nail Yakupov, Ryan Murray, Alex Galchenyuk, and Griffin Reinhardt. <laughs> Like that is four flops in a row. Mm-hmm. It's not too I, often you see that. And you know, it's think- Galchenyuk's had his moments and yeah, obviously Yakupov had his moments early on. Yeah. Ryan Murray Yakupov had injuries get in the way, but yeah, well, I mean, did his, have his, moments. His, his, he had one, one star celebration that right. drew the spotlight on him. <laughs> and that was about it. Edmonton was okay, still shitting okay. bricks at that point. Okay. I would have considered Ryan. To, 
I was I trying to consider, give him the benefit of the doubt there. <laughs> I would consider Ryan Murray to be a really bad pick. I mean, yeah, in hindsight, you wouldn't draft like a defensive defenseman second overall. But I think given the player that he was, he's been very consistent. It's the it's the injuries, though. That's the thing. And that, injury, and that, his yeah. injuries have completely derailed him. If, yeah. if you'd gone back to that draft and drafted Ryan Murray in the second round, I would not be disappointed. Yeah, I have Absolutely, to say, yeah. I have to say, I... I don't th- I don't agree with a lot of Brian Burke's hockey takes, but the fact that he said that Morgan Riley was their number one ranked player in that draft, I mean, yeah, he's not a wrong. lot. I he's mean, not wrong. In- no, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I'm gonna jump on the train here with with uh, Peter in terms of I think the biggest question mark right now for Colorado is their defense. Uh, Devin Taves, I think it's gonna be great to see him for a full mm-hmm. season in Colorado. I think Samuel Gerard's gonna take the next step. Kale McCarr is Kale McCarr. I mean, signing that big deal. Um, yeah, I mean, he's going to live up to that, and that's going to look like a steal in in a few years. Um, beyond Get less of Seth Jones. Yeah, it makes less than Seth Jones, and he's he's going to be he's going to just be phenomenal. So um, beyond that, um, obviously Connor Timmons would have been nice to see, but he's 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 off uh, he's off to Arizona, so that'll off be something to, to watch. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this team goes. The The biggest thing to note is that, you know, you're, you still have a, a very, very good top nine, I think, in, in Colorado. Um, you know, you got names like Burakovsky. You got names like Kadri. Um, this team is still very dangerous. But like Alex said, like beyond beyond that first round, if they can't make it past the second round, we're, we've got to see some changes. And Joe Sackick's made some incredible moves for some some great uh, great uh, value, but if they can't get past that second round, it, it all means nothing at that point. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, hopefully, they can take that next step. They are a regular season powerhouse when it comes to the playoffs. They they are absolutely nothing at this point. It's nothing like when they first moved to Colorado. So. That said, let's jump into the Dallas Stars getting Sagan back healthy. Jamie Benn, uh, obviously Miro Heiskanen. Um, is this team a team that's going to get back on the on the uh, on the playoff train here, Peter? Or are we talking about a Dallas Stars team that could possibly miss the playoffs once again this season? The hope is that they could get back to making the playoffs. I. I, they're going to be middle of the pack. I, I, I think they're going to be knocking on the door and fighting for that that second wild card spot, so to speak. Um, really didn't make any major improvements this year. They brought in Ryan Sutter to shore up their defense. Um, excuse me. They brought in Brandon Holpe as well to you know give some reassurance to Anton Kudobin because Ben Bishop is still injured. Um, Nothing that screams out to say, hey, yeah, we're going to be in the playoffs this year or to make a significant impact. But you you got to look at like the impact that Rupe Hintz and um, Jason Robertson had last year or last season with the breakout performances. I think they're going to rely heavily on them. Uh, Joe Pavelski as well. Maybe he continues that, you know, 30 goals, 60 point pace. May not be consistent enough. He may regress the season, knowing the fact that they got depth right now. So that's a good thing. But at the same time, um, it's I, I, I don't see them making the playoffs. But if they do, great. If they don't, um, they didn't make any necessary moves to say, "Hey, yeah, we're, we mean business this year." 
Yeah, goaltending might be their biggest issue. Obviously, bring in Holpe. Holpe's coming off a, a, a pretty rough season with the Vancouver Canucks, but um, Kivaranta re-signed with Dallas. Uh, like I said, Sagan's coming back healthy. Jamie Benn's Jamie Benn. Um, you know, Heiskanen's going to take an, the next step in his development. But you've also got, like, Ryan Suter, like you talked about. Um, that'll be interesting to see how he works out. Hackenpah, Glenn Denning, Raffle, some depth signings. Alex, is Sagan coming back healthy enough to push this team over the edge? I think so, yeah. And you know what? I think the other thing you got to consider about the Stars this year is that they're not in this makeshift central division like they were last year. So they don't have to worry about being in the same division as Tampa Bay or Florida or yeah. Carolina and playing all these teams multiple times throughout the year. Um, I think with them being back in their their proper division and having the luxury of playing all, all, all the teams in the NHL and having a healthy seg in there all year ideally also another guy to mention a full year out of jason robertson yeah. i think he's going to be a crucial piece for them up front um i do think the stars are going to be back in the playoffs this year i don't know if they're going to have the uh the cup contending team that they did in 2019 or in 2020 in the bubble but i do think that they're they're going to be they're going to make the playoffs again this year and i really like the uh Obviously, the Ryan Suter signing for them. I like the Hakan Plus signing as well. He's a guy, actually, that I wanted the Leafs to pick up to uh, replace Zach Bogosian, maybe. But uh, I, there are a couple of guys like that who uh, really they, they really fit the bill uh, in Dallas. And, you know, Dallas was a heavy team. They play hard. And like you mentioned, Merrill Heiskins, another guy who can take a big step this year. I think... Uh, I, I think there's a lot um, there, there, there's a lot there. And I think they've definitely got more promise this year than they did last year. And also another guy that'll make the goaltending situation in Dallas that much more interesting is Jake Ettinger. And I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but he was very impressive in his limited short sample size last year. And uh, how much ice time he's going to get this year with Bishop and Kudobin both still in Dallas. I don't know, but I think it's going to be interesting to follow along and see uh, how that goaltending situation plays out. But in the end, I do think that they are going to make the playoffs. Well, lucky for you, Alex, we're not a pronunciation uh, podcast. We we just pronounce uh, anything however we want. So with that yep. said, uh, the Minnesota Wild, we'll, we'll continue here in the Central. The Minnesota Wild, Kirill Kaprasov, and, and people have known to pronounce that uh, differently over, over the last couple of seasons. But um, he, he re-signed, obviously, a five-year deal. That was the biggest signing for these guys uh, in Minnesota. Um, guys like Will Byton also joined. Merrill joined. Fiala signed a one-year contract with the Wild. Jordy Ben jumps in. Goligoski, Kulikov. So they they really enforced that back end, buying out Ryan Suter, buying out uh, Zach Parise. What does this Minnesota Wild team look like to you, Alex? Um. Do you remember earlier on when we mentioned about how the Vancouver Canucks have a very short window, but they're going for it. That is exactly what the Minnesota wild they're doing here. They've got a nice two years before all the buyout penalties from Parise and Suter's contracts take effect. And all of a sudden I think, what is it? They're going to lose like 14 million in cap space or something because of yeah. that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Bill Guerin's clearly got stones and he clearly, sees an opportunity in a central division that's maybe a little more depleted than it's been in years past. And, you know, he's got a new star player than in star player there in uh, Kirill Kaprizov. Um, yeah. I mean, like I, I do like their chances as a playoff team this year, but 
boy, it's going to get dicey over there over the next couple of years after once those bio penalties really come into effect there. I know they're obviously relying on guys like Marco Rossi uh, stepping in and uh, being another dynamic player for them. Maybe a guy that they won't have to worry about locking up long-term for a couple of years, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, a, it's an interesting situation out there in Minnesota. And uh, I think they'll definitely make the playoffs this year, but well, yeah, what happens once those buyout penalties come into effect is an entirely different story. Yeah, Peter. I mean, uh, obviously we talked about the cap and in, in Vancouver and, and uh, Minnesota is definitely going to fall into that range uh, in the next couple of years. When, the, when those bios come into effect, they're going to be relying heavily on uh, guys on their entry level deals and, and, and guys signing those short one year, you know, 950, maybe a million dollar deals. Um, is this a team that maybe, maybe this year we see a Marco Rossi make an appearance or, or are we, uh, you know, are we kind of jumping the gun on that one? It's very possible. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that maybe the best thing for him is to go back to Ottawa because, you know, the fact that he did miss some significant time with myocarditis, COVID-19 and everything like that. But he is, you know, we saw during his Olympic qualifier, he looks to be back on the men's. He looks like the Marco Rossi that dominated the OHL with the Ottawa 67s. And if not Marco Rossi, then you're definitely looking at someone like Matt Boldy coming in, making a jump, um, being a very strong power forward wing, uh, another sentiment that, you know, maybe can be inserted into the lineup ahead of Marco Rossi for the time being. You also have a premier shooter and Adam Beckman who just dominated the WHL last season. So you have, you have Rossi, but you have other names that could come in and possibly not necessarily be the go-to guys because you're expecting big years from Kaprizov, from Eric Sinek, another big year from Kevin Fiala as well to lead the offense, but good supporting guys that could still chip in offensively and be complimentary players to your star players that you have on the team right now. And if all three were to make the team, maybe two out of the three is best case scenario. Perfect. That's exactly what they want to do. They're in that, they're in that window right now where, you know, you know, you got three or four solid prospects coming up in the system right now that are able to make the jump. Take advantage of that right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think Minnesota is a, a team that obviously I, I don't think playoffs are out of the question at all. I think they're a playoff team. But um, again, we get into this conversation of once once there, what are you going to do? And, um, you know, Bill Guerin's, you know, Alex mentioned it. Bill Guerin's got some stones, but uh, I don't know if it's enough to to really get them over that hump. And, and I don't think they're a team that's really going to be contending for a cup when, when it's all said and done. Um, moving on to Nashville, the, the Pecorine um, legacy is done. It's, 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 he's, he's, he's gone. It's UC Sar you say Saros's team now. Um, obviously Granlin signed a four-year deal. Uh, Dante Fabro signed back with, uh, with, with the team as well. Um, guys like, uh, Ely Tolvanen re-signed with the team. This is a, this is a team that, you know, is a little different from when, uh, I should, I, sorry, I should also mention that Leafs legend, Dan, um, uh, Riddick also signed with big the team. Save so big save Dave. Big save Dave. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is a team that's, you know, it, it's very different from what we're used to in Nashville. And 
maybe not the same contenders that we we once discussed, you know, all the parties in the Nashville downtown. Um, but Peter, is is Nashville kind of I wouldn't say rebuild, but are they kind of rebooting what they have down with the Predators? That should be their main focus right now. And, you know, the contracts to Ryan Johansson and Matthew Shane still don't look very appealing. And uh, if if they want to go into a full-on rebuild, and I know that, you know, when there were the rumors and rumblings last year where no one, no one is, you know, technically safe except for maybe Pecorine and a few other names, Matthew Shane, Ryan Johansson, I'm pretty sure they're names that they still want to try and move. Um, I can understand why maybe Philip Forsberg's name may come up there because there was, I believe, a comment where he did express his frustration right now. So do you try and move him and let the reboot begin right now where you already have, you know, really great prospects in the system like Phil Tomasino, Zachary LaRue, Luke, Luke Evangelista, um, Igor Fenisev. He looked really good in camp as well. Yaroslav so, Skarov. Skarov. Uh, Luke Prokop, who actually yeah. uh, I, I just saw a clip of him score his first goal of the season. He was really pumped up for that, and he, they got a really promising defender in him as well, and I really liked him during the 2022 drafts. Um, you have a really great movement coming through right now with your youth. If they are seriously about doing a rebuild, you got to start with Duchesne and Johansson. But you know those matching eight million dollar contracts. That's you're, you're going to be eating quite a bit of salary for both if you do move on. I was going to say, Peter. I think uh, they're they're in a position right now where they they need to eat some of that that uh, that cap and and move these guys, whether it be for picks or prospects or whatever. Mm-hmm. Don't. This is a team that has been known so much for for building in, internally and and kind of developing their prospects. Um, at this point in time, you move those contracts, you find a way to maybe eat a little bit and, and, and build from within. I think we're talking about a national predators team that again, in a couple of years becomes a, a team that can be competitive because of that pipeline that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. Alex, right now, the predators for you, are they a team that even is remotely close to fighting for a playoff spot? I mean, I think they'll be fighting for a playoff spot. I don't think they're going to make it. Um, I think the Predators probably recognize the situation that they're in right now, and they still do have a couple of intriguing storylines heading into next season, uh, one of them being obviously the new additions in Cody Glass and Phil, uh, Philip Myers. I think mm-hmm. those are two uh, intriguing additions for them. Uh, Cody Glass, obviously, six-round pick only, what, four years ago? Mm-hmm. Or six-round pick, sorry, sixth overall pick four years ago. And a guy that maybe hasn't really gotten off to the best start that he'd hoped for in Vegas and a fresh start in Nashville could do him well. So uh, him and Myers are both pretty intriguing young pieces that fit in with that dynamic and that core that they're hopefully uh, that they're hoping is going to bleed in over the next couple of years as uh, the Johansons and the Duchesnes are kind of on their way out. But yeah, I don't think the, I don't think the predators are in a position this year to, uh, to contend for the playoffs. And I think they recognize that I, I'd imagine they'll probably be sellers come the trade deadline. The St. Louis Blues, Tyler Bozak resigns. They lose guys like Alex Steen. Um, obviously, Mike Hoffman goes to the Montreal Canadiens. Carl Gunnarsson retires. Jaden Schwartz signs with Seattle. But they add guys like Pavel Buknevich. Um, obviously, Callie Rosen, another Leaf great. Um, Brandon Saad 
added to the uh, the squad as well. Robbie Thomas re-signs as well. Three years removed from their Stanley Cup, and we're talking about a team that maybe not nearly as competitive as they once were um, with guys like Ryan O'Reilly still at the top of the helm. Um, obviously, you know, they have their their pro wrestler in net. Um, Alex, what's they're your little, take? They're a little hothead between they're the little, pipes, eh? Yeah, that's right. That's right. What's your takeaway from the St. Louis Blues going into the 21-22 season? Um, you know, I mean, they, they did fill some holes. I mean, in losing um, guys like Jaden Schwartz and Alex Steen, they, they, they replaced them with Brandon Sod and Pavel Buchnevich. So they are, they are kind of patching the holes as they go along. But I, I think just like um, – I won't, I won't put them on the same level as Nashville – but I'm trying to think who was the team that we compare them to. Either way, I think the Blues are probably another one of those teams who they'll be in the fight all year long, and they, they might Stars. squeak out a playoff spot. Yes, it was the Dallas Stars. You're right. Uh, I think they. I think they'll probably challenge for a playoff spot. I, I, I think the the teams that make the playoffs in the top four in the Central could be any variation of the Wilds or the Avalanche or the Winnipeg Jets or the St. Louis Blues or the Dallas Stars. Uh, there are a couple of teams there that are better than the others, obviously, but I think the Blues are still good enough that they're in a position where they can, uh, uh, where, where they'll be challenging for a playoff spot. But I don't know that they are a powerhouse in that division, and I don't think that they're a top four or top. Or I, I wouldn't say I'm not sure if they're a top three team like they were in last year's Central Division or uh, Pacific Division. I want to say it was was it the Pacific or the Central or the Western. I guess it would have been makeshift division whatever that yeah, would have been I, yeah these, those stupid divisions i'm sorry so guys don't yeah. don't forget them. their sponsor either that's <laughs> <laughs> no, over and done with right yeah, yeah. What, what was the, what was the central division sponsor last year i it was the discovery central i think it was it was that what it was, I think it was. yeah because there was the honda north there was the um there was it the honda no it was the scotiabank north it was the honda west yeah um this, uh, this, uh, I, I think it was Discovery <laughs> Central. I can't remember what the East one was. But funny, yeah. funny how the Scotiabank, ha- they've got their name on two of the arenas in the North Division as well. So, um, <laughs> But, Peter, St. Louis Blues, what are your thoughts on them? I'm looking at a big bounce back here for Vladimir Tarasenko. I mean, with oh, I the it. issues, with, you know, the whole entire – him not being happy with how they went with his uh, surgeries and his injuries similar to like Jack Eichel and everything like that. They said he was coming to camp. They weren't willing to make a move just yet. I expect him to force their hand to show them that, Hey, this is who I am still. I'm still going to be that dominant 30 goal, 70 point guy. Once I start getting up to that level, then ask for a trade because if he does play up to his standards and what we've seen in the past, I think maybe he's going to find his way out and not in a bad way, but in a good way. Cause if he's still not happy about the situation, if he wants to get out of there, he's got to put his best foot forward and I'm not counting him out at all. I'm glad you brought up Tarasenko. I think it's a great opportunity. Like you said, if he can, if he can um, really start the season off on the right foot, this is going to be not only a benefit for him, but a benefit for the team. And I think that's what they need right now is they need to capitalize off a Tarasenko trade. Even mm-hmm. if they eat a little bit of his cap, they find a way to move him and move him for assets as well. So 
the for me, the Blues are a team that are going to be on the bubble. They're going to be a team that, uh, you know, they're going to be right there for, for the three or four spot in the division. But beyond that, um, you know, they're, they're not the powerhouse that they were, you know, three years ago when they went on to win that cup. And even then, it was a complete turnaround when they hit January. So that was, you know, that's a, that's a different story. But I, I do think that the Blues are going to be an interesting team to watch this year. They still have some solid talent up front with, with obviously, Ryan O'Reilly. Robbie Thomas is, is a guy to watch. Jordan Kyrou is another guy to watch. And I think Kyrou is going to have a breakout season as well. Um, Tarasenko, obviously, is there as well. So it'll all be down to, to Bennington and what he can do in between the pipes. There's a lot of video out there now on, on, on him, and I think that's, you know, he's a guy that needs to, to maintain his, his uh, composure, and I think you know, talking about that, that's a guy like Jack Campbell who who can completely change his mentality. And it, it, for him, that's changed his game. I think Bennington's got to take a note out of his his uh, book as well and, and understand that uh, composure is everything. Trying to intimidate intimidate the other team is not uh, it's not going to go over well uh, when you're at the NHL level. But last but not least in the Central Division, the Winnipeg Jets um, back out of Canada, the only canadian team in the central they the the pierre luc dubois trade um that happened last season i i still think columbus won that deal with the jack roslovich uh addition but uh the winnipeg jets could be an interesting story as um you know obviously Hellebuck in net. He's a guy that's uh, won the Vesna before. Um, they add Riley Nash, uh, another Leaf legend. Um, Logan Stanley re-signs with them as well. They do lose guys like Derek Forbert. Um, they lost Lauren Brassard, Brassot, I guess. Uh, Matthew Perot. Look, I told you guys, I don't pronounce, <laughs> I don't pronounce the right way. Uh, Nate Brassoit. Tom- <laughs> yeah, Brassoit. Uh, Nate Thompson to Philly, Tucker Pullman to Vancouver. So they, they lost a ton of players, but they do, uh, they do hold on to guys like Neil Pionk, um, Andrew Kopp as well. Um, what are your thoughts on, on, on Winnipeg? Because I did hear recently that Frank Saravelli did say that Winnipeg might have had one of the most interesting off seasons, could be one of the most impressive teams this season. Peter, what are your thoughts on the Winnipeg Jets? I don't know what to say, really. <laughs> I mean, I really don't. Um, I mean, they brought in Nate Schmidt. I mean, a good pickup, but at the same time, he's fallen off quite a bit over the past few seasons and he hasn't quite sort of lived up to what it was in his early days with the Vegas Golden Knights as well. Um, Not taking maybe, those PEDs anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, bringing in Brendan Dillon, I mean, I, I think what they want to try and do is just shore up their defense and be a little bit more physical. Cause I think at times they just got beaten around too easily um, maybe try and be a little bit more competitive on the back end. I think that's that was their main goal on the fence. And you already got Logan Stanley, who's already a tower mm-hmm. um, back there as well. Um, status quo up front, uh, kept the majority of their big names, Cop, Lowry, um, you know, Jansen Harkins as well. Um, yeah, I mean, granted, Harkins doesn't really have a whole lot to go off with in terms of production. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I think you mentioned Pierre Luc Dubois the main sticking point. Maybe this is the season where it everything goes right for him because it hasn't since he left Columbus, and maybe this is the year where he gets more comfortable. He's not moving to a new team midway. He's got he's probably going to be a bit from more familiar with his line mates heading in right now. So I I. I, I I, I guess they made some good moves, but at the same time, we just got to wait to see how it actually pans out. I, I would argue that Pierre-Luc Dubois has not felt comfortable in the NHL since his draft year. Um, mm-hmm. He's had some good, some good games. He has not had a solid season as a, as a top five pick in the NHL. So uh, yeah. with, with that in mind, Alex, I'm going to throw it to you for the last thoughts on the central division, the last thoughts on the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I want to know where that, where that thought came from Frank Saravalli there, because I mean, I don't think the Jets had a bad off season, but I don't know if I would say that they're in the conversation for one of the best off seasons. My, my understanding, my understanding is Nate Schmidt adding Nate Schmidt. Um, there's still a lot of hype around Nate Schmidt and what he's able to do. And Brendan Dillon, my belief is that there's a lot of players that want to play with Brendan Dillon because he makes their job easier. Oh, and Brendan Dillon's a great defenseman. Don't get me wrong. He's a guy that I wanted on the Leafs a couple years ago. But um, I don't know. It's just like, I, 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 again, I don't think they had a bad offseason. I think they're definitely going to be one of the better teams in the Central this year. But I think a lot of that hinges on if these defensive moves pay off because they did lose, like you mentioned, Tucker Pullman and Jordy Ben and Derek Forbert off the back end. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're, you know, the additions of Nate Schmidt and Jor- and uh, Brendan Dillon are adding on to those guys. Like they, 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 they sub- subtracted three and added two. And I think the su- their success also hinges on what Pierre-Luc Dubois is able to do next year, because he did not look good in Winnipeg after, mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, he had a couple of good games, but overall his season in Winnipeg last year was not good. And I mean, obviously he's not the, he, he's not the be-all, end-all option up front for the Jets when it comes to offense. They've got Kyle Connor, they've got Nick Ehlers, they've got Mark Shifley, they they got all and Blake Wheeler. They got all their guys who can who are capable of putting out points. But I think you know, considering the production that they were able to get from Patrick Kleine in years past, and briefly Jack Roslich as, as well, um, I think that Pierre Luc Dubois really has to make that trade worth it for the Jets for me to call that a really good offseason for them. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that they will be a team that's that's in the in the hunt for the the playoffs. I I don't think they're a team that will likely be competitive in the West um, when it comes down to it. But um, you know, a solid top six. Their depth is questionable. Their defense is questionable. Hellebuck obviously is Hellebuck. Uh, he's a Vesna Vesna type goalie. But uh, aside from that, you know, I, I'm kind of on the same boat as you. I I don't really you know, they don't, they don't really get my juices flowing when it comes to, uh, when it comes to being a, a solid contender in the West. Um, but with that, uh, gentlemen, we are done the central division breakdown. Let's get to some leaf talk before we shut this, this episode down. Um, preseason is underway. We have puck drop on the regular season in 10 days. Michael Bunting might be the most impressive leaf of them all so far peter i know uh michael bunting's a guy that do you uh you you love to talk about so let's throw it to you for michael bunting hat trick in the in, in the preseason 
let's not forget four goals in two games. Uh, I mean, we all know how preseason goals are. Um, no, but he's, he's just been so fascinating and just coming into the role that they expected him to right now. He's just doing such a great job. Um, trying to be, and I know we've talked about it in beating around the bush with this, but becoming the new Zach Hyman. I mean, being that guy to go in front of the net, I believe all four of his goals were because he was attacking the net and being in the right spot at the right time. Basically what Zach Hyman did. And I'd argue that he has a better shot than him. Um, There isn't anything to hate about his game. He's done everything so well to earn that spot on the top line. And I know we've seen Nick Ritchie there, but I think that the best chance for him to excel is with, Matthews and Marner, um, not Nick Ritchie on that top line. But hey, if they want to keep, if Keith wants to keep him with um, Tavares and Nylander, so be it. I mean, there's still two really great players. He's going to earn a spot on the top six no matter what. And maybe if he doesn't see anything with Ritchie, Bunting is going to be the guy and he's going to thrive no matter what. Alex, um, four goals in two games. Um... He does go to the net hard. He plays that 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 physical game. Maybe has a little bit more of a physical edge than Hyman had uh, in his stint with the Leafs, and that's not that's not a you know that's no hate on on Hyman. Um, but Bunting's playing a really solid game so far. Small sample size when it comes to the NHL level, but are we talking about a guy that potentially could be that replacement? Maybe on the top line. Maybe in that top six. Yeah, and you know, I when when the Maple Leafs signed Zach Hyman, I I remember saying that I think it had, and I wrote an article about on it too about how he had potential to be their best signing of the offseason, and obviously not going to make any rash decisions based on a couple of preseason games, but I mean, if 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 those preseason games are any indication of what Michael Bunting's able to bring during the regular season, I think that's going to be one of my better takes, and you know. I keep seeing all this stuff about how the Leafs essentially got three players for the price of one Zach Hyman that kind of fill out his role in Bunting, Kasha, and Nick Ritchie. And I'm going to take that a step further and say, I think Nick, I think uh, Michael Bunting fills out probably, he, he, he fills out just about most of what Zach Hyman uh, had in Toronto, which is, you know, and, and again, I don't want to get ahead of myself because it, it has only been a couple of preseason games, but based on what I've been able to see from Michael Bunting, he does have a he, he does bring a lot of aspects that Zach Hyman bro, brought. Obviously, the, he's got the motor that Hyman had. He's he, he's good at creating space for his teammates and getting in tight, getting to the net, banking in rebounds. But what he does have that Hyman didn't have is the edge to his game and the pestiness. Uh, pestiness, pestiness is the word. Um, and that that's that was my main takeaway from watching Bunting play. I mean, he, you know, Zach Hyman. All due respect to him, he was he was amazing in his role. He was a workhorse. I don't think anybody is going to deny that. But you would never see Hyman trying to get under the opponent's skin. And Bunting did that in preseason. He, he was in the middle of the scrums. He was shoving a couple of Habs players back and forth. And he if he can bring that sort of goal-scoring prowess but also get under the other team's skin and really upset them and – uh, kind of throw them off their game. I think the Leafs are going to have a real boom of a signing here. <clears throat> and the one other thing I want to mention is that even if Michael Bunting doesn't work on the top line, and even if uh, he doesn't score, you know, 25 goals, like he, he would have been projected to over the course of a full season, if he scored the way he did in Arizona last year, 
with his style of game, you can get away with putting him on the third line and making him a checking forward, and he can be just as effective in that role. And that's what I really like about Bunting. So I, I really like what I saw from him. I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, he almost strikes me as a mix between Hyman and and, and Kadri um, in, in the way that he loves to get under the under the skin of the opponents. He's going to draw a few penalties, uh, whether it be after the whistle or, or in front of the net, going hard to the net. Uh, but he plays that same type of uh, tough game um, that is, you know Zach Hyman played as well. So um, I I think it's a great signing. I think he fills the spot that Hyman Hyman left behind. I think he's a younger version. He's a guy that doesn't have that injury history. Um, and then Kashe and and Richard just kind of those extra additions that you get for a cheap price. So um, I, I love the Bunting signing. I think it's going to be a big signing. Um, yeah, it's still early. Um, yeah, it's only a couple of preseason games, but um, he's going to be a guy that definitely we need to watch uh, down the stretch as, as he uh, becomes a, a big piece to the top six, I think, in Toronto. Um, Sheldon Keefe gets a two-year extension. I know, Alex, you took a little bit of heat on Twitter for your Sheldon Keefe extension article. Um, <laughs> we'll throw it right to you. Take it away with the, uh, the Sheldon Keefe two-year extension. You know, it's just there is so there are so many more players and so many more people that I'm going to blame for the Leafs' lack of playoff success over the two years than Sheldon Keefe. And you know, I I the way I see it, I wrote an article like you said about him, and the the three main takeaways that I had about it were this: Sheldon Keefe has a winning pedigree, and. If you know, you ask anybody from Pembroke, Ontario, what he did for the Pembroke Lumber Kings Junior A team, he, he bought them while he was still an NHL player, took over as head coach a couple of years later, and led them to five straight championships, including their first championship ever. Um, so he's a living legend over there. And he coaches the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, so they're winning a season in franchise history. The only team that stood in their way for making all the noise in the OHL and taking home the championship was Connor McDavid and the Erie Otters. And obviously that's a pretty tough customer. So yeah. give him a little bit of a pass there. <laughs> um, and then he, he moves over to the AHL. He wins a Calder Cup with the Toronto Marlies. So Sheldon Keefe, and obviously I know, Peter, we talked about this earlier on Maple Leafs Lounge. If you watched even the, the trailer of that all or nothing documentary, Sheldon Keefe has the winning mindset and he's got the passion. And I think at the very least, whether you think he's a good coach or not, at this point, we all have to agree that Sheldon Keefe does have that drive to win. And I, I, I'm truthfully really excited to see what he's able to do over the course of a full 82 games because he hasn't had that opportunity yet. He took over as coach midway through 2019-20 for Mike Babcock when the team was at their lowest point under his regime. Um, then, obviously, their season was suspended. You go four or five months without playing, and you're only, you're only uh, I guess, look in the playoffs that year is a quick five-game bubble series. And you go from not playing at all for five months to that. And then the following year, you have a super condensed 56 game schedule that's kind of crammed into a span of four or five months. And there's no proper preseason there either. Like it was like that, that, that season, I mean, obviously they were able to make it work, but it's not a conventional NHL season. And now that Sheldon Keefe has an opportunity to start from the get go and implement a system right from the very beginning and kind of get the guys into the roles that he wants and really get to build this team the way he sees it from the start and get a full 82 games under his belt. Uh, I, I love the fact that they brought him back for it. I think it was a no-brainer. And on top of that, I mean, 
I, I think it was I think it was Pierre LeBrun that said it. He said that because they only brought him back for two years as opposed to five or six years, it shows that yes, he is, he is still a little bit unproven and he still has some learning to do. He's not a perfect head coach. I don't think anyone's arguing that, but at this point, as, as it stands right now, there's no better option as a head coach. So Peter, I'm going to kind of throw in another piece here that would, uh, another discussion point for us. Um, the new look power play, uh, Sheldon Keefe, He's getting the opportunity, like Alex said, to, to kind of develop his system with this team. Now they've got an opportunity to, to kind of build off of, you know, what was a little rough end to the, the, the season with, with their power play. Is this something that we, you know, could, could buy into in terms of what he's, you know, earned as a two-year, two-year extension? Or are we talking about, you know, Dubas locking up his guy prior to a season that could be defining for both of them? Um, I think it's a mix of both, but I think it's him giving confidence to to the signing of Spencer Carberry, um, who is going to be running that power play. So for Keith to, you know, have a say and have the confidence to instill in him to control the power play after what we saw last year with Manny Malhotra, who, you know, didn't quite fit that role of being a power play coach. Yeah, exactly. And as good of a coach as Manny Malhotra is, he did not fix the Maple Leaf power play at all. What I'm seeing right now with Keith and Carberry trying to like, I'm, I'm assuming bounce ideas around is the fact that they have there, even during the games, there are three things that I'm taking note of. And I'm even writing a quick, uh, an article about this one Nylander on his off wing. I think that's going to be utilized very well because of the fact that it takes pressure or it makes them not as predictable as they were in the past to try and find that seam of Morgan Riley to Mitch Marner to Austin Matthews, Austin Matthews one time or goal. You're trying to create that confusion. You want to you want to try and not be as predictable as you were in the past. So to have another shooting threat like William Nylander, we've seen Nylander shoot the puck from uh, the half wall on his good side not on his off wing and he has insane accuracy. So if he's going to be on his off wing and he's been working on his one timer, this is going to work out very well to get more traffic in front of the net. We saw a couple of times where Michael Bunting tipped the puck in Um, John Tavares is being used as a screenplay and even Mitch Marner sort of like trying to be that gauge in that bumper spot where um, he can sort of be that last line of defense not necessarily defense but sort of like block the goalie's vision but still get a shot off in any way he can and my third thing is utilizing the play down low there's something that many have asked for to like bring the play below the goal line try and get a setup and then work its way from there and i think we saw the perfect example where michael amadio was had the puck down low against the ottawa senators he sort of like brings one player in and he sort of fakes the other defender thinking that he's going to go fully around the net. What he does is he fully fakes that fakes him out, gets the puck off and passes it over to Michael Bunting for the hat trick goal. And that kind of deception right there is going to work in their favor because you're thinking that he's going to go around the net, try and circle around and pass it back to his defense. No, you have a player right there, right in front of the net and you have a good score. You have a prime scoring chance in a high danger area. To me, if they are incorporating all three of those factors in there, 
you're not as predictable, you're using different options and you're using different plays. And even if they try to implement a bit more of a cycle game to it, I'm still seeing Morgan Riley still be Morgan Riley on the point. But if they try to give Rasmus Sandin more looks who thrives in that role where he can rush in and be quicker with his puck movement, the power play is going to be back where it was last season for the first half. It is a it is a massive breath of fresh air that they don't have Manny Malhotra coaching the power play anymore, eh? Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing a video a couple days ago of Manny. Um, I, I think he was working with Jason Spezza practicing faceoffs or whatever. And you know, Manny Malhotra, noted defensive specialist and penalty kill specialist and faceoff specialist over his NHL playing career, coaching somebody in an area that he specializes in. That's a strength. I like That's if you're a strength. gonna. Yeah, like if you're gonna get Manny Malhotra to coach the power play, you might as well hire Mike Hoffman to coach the fucking penalty kill. Like, it's just it's just one of those things that makes absolutely no sense. And I never understood from the get go why they didn't have Malhotra coaching the penalty kill or working at least in a defensive role. Well, so. hold hold on though. If you wanted to make your your power play as dismal as it was, then you have Manny Malhotra coach the the power play. I mean, this is the guy who who thrived off of of stopping power plays and, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. the Leafs power play went cold. I mean, he, he did probably, a great, yeah, he, he did a great job. He was probably <laughs> organizing the power play just from the play, from his perspective as a player. It's like, all right, so how would I want this power play to act? So it's easiest for me to fall, uh, fool their plans, play the box, play the box, and then well. just have one guy float at the top. We'll be fine. Active sticks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it, it definitely is a breath of fresh air to have you know somebody in in the right position to try and try and get this power play on. I mean, look at the weapons that the Leafs have. Like that alone should tell you what this team should be doing on the power play. And, and to, for them to have closed out the season the way they did, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that can definitely be blamed for for how how their season ended, but. I, I want to quickly note um, Braden Kressler had a, had a phenomenal start uh, in, in Traverse City. And, and obviously, you know, the 18-year-old, he put up 18 points last year in 46 games with the Flint Firebirds. Um, sorry, I should say 2019-20. Obviously, the OHL didn't go last year. So he signed a three-year entry-level deal with the Leafs. Uh, I don't know if either of you want to touch on that. Go ahead, Alex. I don't want to touch on it. I want to ask you guys to explain to me how they were able to sign him to an entry-level contract instead of drafting him. It's because I know that there have been some cases like that in the past, but I, st- I don't know if I've ever heard a clear explanation of why they were able to sign an 18-year-old CHL player to a contract. It doesn't have anything to do with the OHL not being in action last year and that he lost the draft year or what? I think it's because that maybe he did go and draft at one time and maybe he was brought into a tryout scenario with the team, I think it warranted uh, the fact that maybe he can earn a contract. And okay. he was one of the guys in the fight for, for a professional contract from the beginning um, or an entry-level contract uh, based on uh, – similar to like what a PTO is right now. If you bring him in, you think they do well, you give him a contract. So the fact that he played well at the Traverse City tournament warranted an entry-level contract given the fact that maybe he could have gone through the draft again, but because they brought him in, I think they were really impressed with him that they wanted to sign him right then and there. Yeah, I was going to say, I I believe he was signed to an ATO, so an amateur tryout. Yeah. Uh, Based on the amateur tryout, because he went undrafted in his draft year, he is technically available to sign an entry-level contract. Now, I could be full of complete shit here and just making this up, uh, but I believe that's the reason that they were able to sign him 
Uh, there, there are obviously some loopholes with, with obviously um, the way that the OHL, you know, missed out on the year and, and players obviously didn't get an opportunity to play and, and, you know, went undrafted this season. So I think there are a few loopholes in that, in that sense as well. But um, yeah, I, I think that's why, because they did sign him to an amateur contract, they were able to sign him to the entry level contract as well. Okay. Makes sense. Well, he is a, uh, he's a Kitchener boy, so I'm rooting for him. There you go. There you go. I knew you, I knew you would be <laughs> always, I always, uh, you know, <laughs> I was going to say, I always root for the Kitchener boys. Then I realized I just made fun of my cough and like 15 seconds ago. So <laughs> <laughs> already, already caught in my own lies, but yeah, you know, all jokes aside, go Kitchener. <laughs> all right, boys. Yeah. Uh, before we shut this down, I, I do want to ask you um, training camps underway. Uh, like I, I mentioned leading into the Maple Leaf talk, we, we are 10 days away from puck drop. Who still needs to step up in camp if they want to earn a spot with the Leafs and, you know, possibly make this squad and be a part of that team? Uh, Peter, let's throw it to you right away. Um, I'm going to start off in a good way. It's going to be Timothy Lilligren. I mean, he's been very impressive from the very beginning of camp playing alongside Jake Muzzin, who I think should probably knock Justin Hall off for that second pairing. I know it's not going to happen, but Timothy Lundgren has looked more impressive than Justin Hall has when he's been on the ice. So it, t- Timothy Lill- with Lilligren, it's an interesting scenario because he's been in the AHL for four years. He's only 22. He's outstayed his welcome in the AHL. He's ready for a full-time spot in the NHL, whether it be on a third pairing or even bump Justin Hall down, whatever. I that to me doesn't seem like it's going to happen, although I think it should. But if he keeps playing his game the way it is in that shutdown role, but being great in transition, um, I think he I think he has a chance to really solidify that right hand spot and maybe even make someone like Travis Dermott expendable. Alex, who you got stepping up in camp? Um, well, since Peter went in a positive direction with that, I'll, I'll go in a negative direction. I'll be the bad guy this time around. Um, I'm not used to being in that role. I'm usually, I'm usually the happy go lucky positive guy that's here just reminding everyone that it's all sunshine and rainbows and giving us the positive things to look for. But either way, um, I think if anybody's got to step up in camp right now, it probably have to be Nikita Gusev. And I just say him because, you know, there's two guys on this team that are on PTOs, him and Josh Hosang. And obviously there's the, there's the possibility that Kyle Dubas can sign both of them. But as it stands right now, Josh Hosang is completely outplaying Nikita Gusev for a, a, a contract. And when you think about it, the guys on PTO should be the guys that are working harder than everybody else because they don't have that security. They're playing for that security, whereas other players, you know, at least they're signed wherever they end up is uh is a different story but i mean at least they know that they're under contract and they're getting paid i mean gusev and hosang don't have that luxury and hosang in my opinion is playing himself towards a contract but gusev on the other hand you know we talk about a guy who's not really effective in any way defensively if he's going to be effective for you and effective for your team it's going to be on offense on the power play uh basically the way he was in new jersey in 2019-20 um and we haven't seen that so far. So I, I think Gusev, if anybody, you know, he's still on the PTO. Obviously, the Leafs still some, still see something in him or at least want to give him more of an opportunity to, to, to uh, produce and maybe make a statement for himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't be here anymore. But if anyone, I think he definitely has to be the one to step up. So I'm going to go on two guys here. I, I think going off Peter's point, Travis Dermott, he's a guy that needs to definitely 
he he needs to play himself into a new position. We talked about this a little bit last uh, with uh, I believe it was hell I forget who it was. Anyways, it was we talked about the potential. I believe it was Mark Masters. It was Mark Masters. We talked about Travis Dermott and the potential that he could be moved this season. And you mentioned it, uh, Peter, in that that. Toronto does have some depth in the defensive positioning and, and Lilligren's right there. He's ready to make that jump. He's out, out, outstayed his, his welcome in the AHL and it's time for, for him to take that next step. And, and Travis Dermott might be the guy that, uh, you know, he knocks off. Um, that being said, I think one of the guys up front that I want to see a little bit more from is David camp. Um, I think defensively he's, he's a strong uh, a strong player in his own end. I think he's a guy that's phenomenal on the penalty kill. And he's, he's a guy that I think Chicago's actually going to miss this season uh, in, in what he's able to do, um, you know, both on, on the penalty kill and, and his own, his own end. So um, he's a guy that I'm looking forward to, to potentially make that push and try and fight for a spot. But uh, you know, I think we talked about it last week, Alex. Uh, there's there's so much depth right now in the Leafs camp. Uh, Gusev, Hosang, Camp, uh, Bunting, whether where he go, he ends up, Kashe, uh, Nick Ritchie. I mean, there's so much depth right now that this this Leafs camp is is going to be interesting to see who who ends up making the cut and who ends up you know sitting it out with the Black Aces to start the season. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be grind right to the end of camp. We got 10 days left. And like we said, puck drop in 10 days. Um, Mm -hmm. It'll be fun to see who, who ends up making the opening night roster. Absolutely. Um, Before we let, let uh, you guys go. I do want to mention Josh Archibald. We did not talk about him. Edmonton Oilers, uh, the one unvaccinated player in Edmonton also, will not be playing likely most of the season. Um, he was diagnosed and he's out indefinitely with myocarditis. Um, obviously a heart issue that stemmed from his bout with COVID-19 over the past off season. Um, kind of telling at uh, where, where we're at right now with vaccinations. And, and uh, he seems to be the one guy that uh, didn't, didn't, didn't uh, sit there for the needle. So um we, we we wish him all the best and hopefully he gets over it and, and uh, can't get back to playing hockey, but uh, maybe, uh, maybe it'll, it'll send a message to some of the other unvaccinated players from around the league. Um, I do want to make one note before we close it out as well. Um, my, uh, I, I, I played rep lacrosse for a couple of years in Oakville. Uh, my coach at the time, his name was Rob McDougal. Um, for anybody who's been following the news, he was missing for two days. Uh, he, he did end up, uh, they, they found him um, dead uh, and at, at the age of 63. Um, Rob was a, a, a well-known artist in Oakville, uh, did a lot of work for the Toronto Sun um, and, and coached some, some pretty incredible players, including Stephen Legion. Um, who, who was a, a Columbus draft pick. He, he coached John Tavares, who obviously is a Toronto Maple Leaf at this point. Um, good friends with Don Cherry uh, and, a, and a lot of the, the Oakville alumni. So, um, you know, to his family and uh, to those that, uh, that loved him and, um, you know, respected him, I wish you all the best. And, and uh, for, for whatever the case may be, uh, I hope that uh, he, he rests in peace. So, 
I did want to get yeah. that in there as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Before that, or sorry, with, with us closing out here, uh, Alex, anything that our listeners should look forward to as we head into the NHL season here? Um, nothing too different for me at this point. I mean, I've been trying to publish regular uh, post-game updates, or not post-game updates, I guess, but uh, post-game takeaways from from all the preseason games. So uh, keep keep an eye out for those ones for the rest of the games that we have before the official NHL season starts. And I'm also just entering the second half of my Atlantic Division previews. I think the next one I've got coming out is Florida. So yeah, keep an eye on that. And that's that's more or less all you can have to look forward to me. Look forward yeah. from me. Beautiful, Peter. What do we got coming from you? Uh, working on that power play piece. It's going to be a mix of like clips and videos. So I'm going to be analyzing that. And yeah, it's coming along pretty well. Well, boys, my uh, sober October started off with a perfect 25 hours of sobriety before I got back into the uh, the juice here. So um, <laughs> I am I am uh, looking forward to the season getting started here in 10 days. To all you guys who stuck it out with us this episode, I know it was a long one. Our our season episodes will not be this long. I promise you that. <laughs> we'll have some good guests hopefully moving forward here. And uh, we can't wait to get the season underway. One more preview episode, episode folks. Uh, and that'll be episode 56. For now, thank you for tuning in to episode 55 of the podcast. Uh, you can follow Peter on Twitter at P Barracchini. You can follow Alex over at Hobson A16. Or you can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes or the pod at Sticks in the Six Pod, S T I X I N T H E 6 I X P O D. Or head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you download your podcast. Make sure you download our episodes rate them, review them, subscribe wherever you can. Also head over to iTunes or sorry, YouTube, as we've got lots of great content coming out uh, heading into the season. Make sure you subscribe there as well. Boys, until next time, what a great week. We'll look forward to talking hockey with you for episode 56. Absolutely. See ya.